You're listening to the Quarter Free Movie Podcast for Star Wars The Force Awakens. Thing is, I'm going to quiz you real quick, Thing is, is that the music to Superman or Star Wars? It's Jurassic Park. <laughs> they both oh. have weird essence. I gotta say, it's really nice to be able to play this unironically. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. all. Uh, let me tell you who's here to discuss Star Wars Force Awakens. First, we have Christian Mralovsky. That's the only name they ever gave me. <laughs> and Kelly Wand, I would like you to give me, Dingus, and the listeners a tagline that would be appropriate for Star Wars Force Awakens. Um... It's like Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, I'm inclined to Kelly Wand to just say quit while you're ahead. Yeah, me too. Everyone says that to me, but I never listen. Well, all right. What else do you got for us for Star Wars Force Awakens taglines? Uh, I have a mixed feeling about this. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you keep going? Because those, those are both good. They're solid. Good work so uh, far. My last one is... It's yeah, like, you don't, Kelly Wand, hold on. Don't return to the Jedi yet. Yeah, don't episode... All right, I'll stop then. I'll <laughs> leave with the Empire of mixed feelings. Um, Kelly Wand, before we talk about Star Wars Force... Un, or, uh, Force uh, the Force, Force Unleashed. Oh, well, there's a video game called Force Unleashed that it was confusing me briefly. It's um, not called The Force Unleashed. It's just called Force Unleashed. I don't, no, it's probably The Force Unleashed. Because when you talk about The Force, you use the the, uh, the particular, like that... The, what's the, the article... You use the instead of a. There's a very the, specific the, thing. Right. So it's not, not a force. Right, because that would just be generic. Like, you right. know, it's the things that Newton talked about. That's not what uh-huh. binds the universe. No. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wand, I would like you, speaking of light and dark, why don't you subject me and Dingus to some sort of like a, 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 a test to see which of us <laughs> is stronger in at ways of the IMDb. Right. I saw this movie in the theater. That's your hint. Okay, good. That that's, it gives his hand. So what? So, so the listeners know, Kelly Wand is going to read us an IMDb synopsis. Dingus and I have to see who can guess it first. What, what the movie is. You're free uh, to wait. chime in, but we won't hear you. Well, right, listeners participate. Uh, all we know at this point is Kelly Wand saw it in the theaters. All right, Kelly, give it to us. Right, <laughs> that's your hint. So if you know me at all, that should narrow it way down. Oh, the guest. I didn't... Oh, yeah, I did. <clears throat> no. In this Star Wars takeoff... Uh, Spaceballs. No. What? First off, takeoff's not even properly used, so don't act like that made sense when you're guessing. Star Wars takeoff? Takeoff isn't right. Isn't that a word? That's not a word. It is if you're in Canada. Hmm. Too shy. Oh, good, Dingus. Good. I like that. Look at, listen to Dingus channeling his inner Bob and Doug. Very nice. And the Star Wars takeoff. It's like a send-up, a takeoff. I think send-up. Thank you. Yeah. That's the word I couldn't think of. Okay, oh. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to guess again. Spaceballs. Was that no. right this time? Okay, all right. In this particular Star Wars takeoff, right. okay. the peaceful planet of Jalusia has been nearly wiped out by the Gavanus, whose leader takes orders from his mother. Parentheses played a comic actor in drag. Rather than the Emperor, King Kaiba sends out eight Lyabi Holy Seeds 
each to be received by a chosen one to defend the Gavanas. Each recipient, ranging from hardened General Garuda... Dark Crystal? No. Oh. To Gavanna Prince Hans, to young Terrans Maya, Kido, and Aaron... Now you're just making random noises. No. All have different reactions to being chosen. <laughs> That's it. Is this a movie or a video game? It sounds like a dopey video game. It's a movie, and the the MacGuffins were these walnuts. What? And Vic Morrow was in it. Man, Dingus, I think we're both going to lose, I think, Dingus, is what that means. Oh, man. What a lonely story. Is it in the Star Wars universe? (laughs) It is. What? Really? You you think from everything I just read that it could Uh, be? Star Wars Holiday Special. (laughs) Uh, The Fifth Element. Uh Uh, what's it's the same? I, it's not. It, it, uh, it's similar to both, but it's got Japanese people in it. If that helps, and Vic Morrow and Walnuts. Twilight Zone. It was called Message from Space. Jeez. I think it was Japanese. No idea. It came out right after Star Wars. Like, oh, we can. It was like they'd already made it. I think, but it was right after Vic Morrow died. I think, though. How and did you do thought, that? You thought Dingus or I would know that movie? Message from Space? Yeah. Well, it was the Star Wars ripoff, I mean takeoff, that came out right after Star Wars, so I thought Dingus would know. Like Dingus went and saw everything even remotely Star Wars-like for the rest of his life. Well, I thought it was possible. (laughs) Dingus, did you see Star Crash? I'm going to say no. I probably Mm -hmm. did. That sounds Wow, I had a really stupid fucking childhood. (laughs) It's the takeaway, the takeoff away. Shit. Okay, well, message from space. No one wins. This is good. <laughs> Contest result. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just have to take this up next week then. Uh, in the meantime, Dingus. Sorry. What uh, What did we see this week, Dingus? What What movie did we opt to see instead of uh, the Amy Poehler Tina Fey comedy? Um, who did the? I'm sorry, Kelly Wan's thing just reminded me of some pop song about. A radio show about calling occupants of interplanetary Earth or something. Do you guys remember that song? It's Beastie Boys, interplanetary. No. Intergalactic. Sorry. It was. It was in the. It was in the seventies or something. It was some famous uh, female singer, like Captain and Tennille or something. Anyway, sorry. Um, that that person was only half female. Wow. Uh, this week we saw Star Wars: colon. The Force Awakens, a 2015 American action-adventure fantasy epic space opera sequel movie about harnessing the power of the sun. Well. It, it, what'd you say? Well, I mean, any sun. You make it sound like there's only one sun. It, it would work with any sun, right? Depends how you spell it. The son of Han Solo. Oh, my but... God. Dingus is doing wordplay, Kelly Wand. Did you? Yeah. Think I was, and I was too thick to get it. Dingus, you've... Uh... Dingus, That's how he you know, does it. You know, give him the award for the synopsis. I don't deserve it. I mean, I don't deserve a deadlock. Thing is very nicely done. Wait, he did a joke, so he wins the other contest. It wasn't even a joke. It was clever wordplay, and I, of all people, should have gotten that, and he just went right so over he, his head. That doesn't make him good at guessing movies. No, but I want him to win. I okay, give him the point. Point. Dingus, good work. Yeah. Well done, Dingus. Congratulations. Message from space. I, underestimate, I underestimated his chances. <laughs> he gets a Chewbacca medal. Oh. It was directed by J.J. Abrams hmm. and written by him, Lawrence Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan and Michael Arndt. It stars Daisy Ridley. Oh, yeah. 
Wow, that was super creepy. (laughs) Can you just give us a simple little rowl, a trilling noise kind of thing? They just come out of me. (laughs) Uh, So do the words. Okay, uh, Daisy Ridley, Lupita Nyong'o, John Boyega, uh, uh, and a bunch of actors. It's far more fun to discover than to listen to me list. Uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, is rated PG-13. Oh, right, yeah. Okay, let's hear this. Why would that be rated PG-13? Because, oh, you know what? I, I have some ideas. Go ahead. Yeah, there's only one designation. There's only really? one. Really? Yeah. Can I guess? Okay. Is it, like, for blood? Nope. Oh, intense blood. sci-fi action. Basically, it's sci-fi action violence. <gasps> there's blood in there, though. Come on, they should warn parents about that. Kelly Wan, do you have any that you'd like to add? Any oh, that's right. There's blood on the helmet. There, there, that there should is. be a designation, helmet blood. Yeah, yeah. That's what that should have been called, Episode 7. Well, Kelly Wan, do you have any – do you think you could help out parents by adding some MPAA-style disclaimers in there that, that they missed? Helping parents is my speciality. Mm-hmm. They look to you for that, yeah. They're pretty desperate. Um, slavish callbacks, some carbon scoring, carry fishing, and mild Star Wars. <laughs> okay. So the parents now. Uh, you're welcome, parents. A Force Unleashed uh, opened at number two behind the sisters. No, it, it, I, I, this is amazing. It broke, the odds oh. of that were 58 to one. Uh, it shattered records. It's kind of amazing. So uh, current, previously, the record holder had, had been Jurassic World. It barely eked past the, the, the original Avengers movie. The original Avengers was 202 million. Jurassic World had an opening weekend of 203 million. Uh, Star Wars handily breezed to a $238 million, million opening, uh, easily breaking the record. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 81. Whoa. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of negative reviews <laughs> is 5. Wow. It's at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. 95 out of 100 critics were like, yeah, go see it. In the tank. Yeah, in the back to tank for Star Wars. Five out of a hundred were like, eh, no, I don't think so. Uh, Kelly Wand, I would like you. I think everybody has seen this movie, so you don't have to worry about spoilers. So why don't you just recap for us the events of the movie before we discuss whether or not it works for us? Mm-hmm. Give us a Star Wars Force <laughs> Unlopshedist. Ah, uh, see? Come on. J.J. Abrams tried harder than that. Come on, Force Unlopshedist, I thought was cool. He didn't even say it the same way twice. Say windmills. Windmills. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Wait, unwompsus? Unlopshedist. Unlopshedist. You just added random. You're like a kid banging on his xylophone. You kind of made it German, actually. Yeah. Are you taunting me? Did I live in Germany? Getting a little too taunting. Star Wars, The Force of Wapsis. Is that racist? Yeah. Some blue words are all. A galaxy nowhere near ours back, whatever, something, blah, blah, yada. Some yellow Star Wars are all. Star Wars. Some scrolling yellow words are all. The prequels never happened, and Vader's armor didn't actually burn, so pretend that seven's a four. After Return of the Jedi, Luke got scared and went to stand on a planet made out of grass stairs. 
Consequently, R2-D2 programmed himself to be despondent. Unfortunately for the galaxy, Han Solo and Princess Leia, now demoted to general, had twins. To slightly pad things out, Luke gave the last piece of the star map showing where he's standing to Max von Sydow, a man on a planet. To protect it from being taken in a ground attack, General Leia sent the best pilot of the galaxy to go pick it up by hand. Because <laughs> they don't have faxes yet. These words scroll out of sight while the Star Wars music keeps playing for a few minutes. Finally, some more scrolling yellow words are all. None of the desert planets in this movie are Tatooine, by the way. Also, the Empire is called the First Order in this one. <laughs> now a Star Destroyer scrolls by at the same speed. A triangular ship inside it lands while stormtroopers watch. Kylo Ren. <laughs> Why is that painful? <laughs> is the villain. It could have been Stimpy. Kylo Ren stomps angrily out of it and walks up to a man with red hair. He's all... Admiral Redhair, I have felt a scratchy inflammation of the Force. Where is the map piece to the planet where my uncle stands? The guy's all, Lord, uh, Ren? Really? I mean, we believe it's in Max von Sydow's tea. By the way, you don't need to wear a mask if you can breathe normally. By the same logic, you could also just roll yourself around in a wheelchair. Kylo's all, damn your impertinence. He stomps around angrily while all the stormtroopers watch. <laughs> One among them, a black person, is totally fine with working for this guy. Kylo's all, have the planet invaded at some point on foot and don't wake me. He stomps around while the Imperial March plays. Some words are all, on the tent planet. Fuck it. Ah! Too many accents. Some words are all on the tent planet Chaka. The exorcist is drinking tea with Lewin Davis. He has a droid named 88 Beep Boop that instead of feet walks around on his unitesticle. <laughs> his characterization is that he's small. Lewin Davis is all. Hmm. Phantom Menace also started with tea. Max von Sydow is all. It is of no consequence. An imbalance in the force is felt. Otherwise, what then? To us! He raises his tea bag and gets shot through the head. Lou and Davis is all, Behind you! Damn! Too late. Beep boop, follow me! He walks to a hill, takes out a MacGuffin, rips off pieces of the robot, sticks the MacGuffin inside, then tapes it shut. Then he's all, Hmm, maybe I should stash the map in there, too. Nearby, Kylo stomps around, killing people with his lightsaber and using telekinesis to open doors. His characterization is that his mask is thinner than Darth Vader's and his lightsabers from the 15th century. All the stormtroopers fire and miss at everything. Lewin Davis shoots one of the stormtroopers with a laser in the crack between the helmet and the chest piece that protects his pencils. His black friend was all, Gary, you okay? Gary reaches up, smears blood across the black guy's helmet, a la Wilson the volleyball. Then he goes limp and his head comes off. The black dude's all, Gary? Hello? I asked you a question. He stands up and looks at the camera. He's all, damn it. Missing every time I shoot and massacring desert villages isn't what I signed up for at 12 years of Stormtrooper Academy. He throws down his blaster rifle and pulls his Mandalorian leggings down. He's all, I quit. Hmm. Should I try to lose myself now in the chaos of battle? Now, wait. Find a way off later somehow. It's just a Star Destroyer. 
On board the ship, Kylo jiggles his hand at an admiral till the guy groans, grabs his nuts, and crumples to the floor. Kylo's all, and that's for winning the battle. He turns to Lou and Davis, hooked up to a machine, and goes, Now tell me where the map is, or I'll torture you with the strangling machine. Oh, you can't just use the force to strangle me? Uh, cut that out. You can strangle people without using telekinesis. Did you know that? I'm warning you. Tell me what I wish to know, or I'll ask you again. Why can't you just use the Jedi mind trick to make me tell you? Or is that just Jedi, not Sith? Although, should my control be a dark side thing? Here, let me try it on you. Tell you where the map is. <laughs> tell you where the... Damn it! You there, wipe all that stupid blood off your helmet, and take this prisoner to cell block Zokas. Perhaps a few minutes listening to me stomp back and forth will help jog his memory. The red-haired British man's all. Sir, should we maybe check the droids near the tent's planet side? Your family members have a habit of using those <laughs> stashing MacGuffins in. <laughs> Lou and Davis is all. No, don't, please, especially not beep-boop. Kylo's all. Hmm. Admiral, perhaps Lou and Davis is right on this one. Ignore all suspicious droids, especially beep-boop. But, sir... Lou and Davis is all, bark like a dog and punch him in the face. Kylo makes his usual sounds, punches the red-haired guy, then turns around and goes, Well, prisoner, what now? Hey, where'd he go? In a hallway, the black guy walks fast with Lou and Davis. He's all, come on, I'm risking my life to save you. That's what Gary would have wanted. Lou and Davis is all, really? I'm the one who killed Gary. Shouldn't you be mad at me? That guy, the black guy's name's Chip, by the way. I'm just going to let you know that in advance. Chip's all. That was you? Oh, well, fuck Gary. Let's go. Lou and Davis is all. My name's Pone, by the way. I'm not in the movie much. Actually, no one is. The centerpiece of my role was tea drinking. The black guy's all. The Empire only gave us logins. My name's Chip69, L-O-L-Z. Lou and Davis is all. I'm not convinced our association will be significant. I'll shorten your identity to Chip. They get into a TIE fighter. Pone's all. Aha, good thing I'm the greatest starfighter in the gap. Shit, a rope's tying us to the deck. <laughs> Probably should have removed that before getting into the aircraft. <laughs> Chip's all, why don't you put it in charge? <laughs> and these crazy gun controls, I'm a stormtrooper. I only know how to miss with rifles. Fire, what's that do? <laughs> Pones all, don't worry, I just used the mind trick to make Kylo untie the rope for us. Let's go. TIE Fighter flies around. Pone uses the Jedi mind trick on all the Star Destroyer cannons to make them all explode. Pone's all, six TIE Fighters incoming at six o'clock. By the way, your turret can't move. Chip's all, including the TIE Fighter we're in, or six and us? Pone's all, which do you think? Four of the TIE Fighters all crash into each other and explode. The last two also explode. Chip fires and blows up their own ship's engine. He's all, I got him, I got him. Pone sighs as they catch fire and plummet. On the Star Destroyer, Kylo's furiously force-choking half a grapefruit. Admiral Redhair is all. Lord Wren, uh, our TIE fighters failed miserably. Luckily, they all carry tracking devices, so we should have our fugitives back in custody within ten minutes. Also, we found this. He holds up Chip's blood-covered stormtrooper helmet. He's all. It came with a note. He raises a piece of paper and reads, This is why I changed sides. Ha ha, you will never find my helmet. Signed, Chip. P.S. I better hide this note so you don't find it either. Then there's an arrow pointing back up to the words, Signed, Chip. Kylo's all. Running away. Two or more can play at that game. Admiral Redhair, make a U-turn and take this ship to our secret new space 
weapon station, the Death Star XL. But don't crash into it. <laughs> the Admiral nods primly. Meanwhile, our heroes... Whoops. Stand by. Meanwhile, heroes landed some sand. That was close. Ship gets out of the TIE fighter and goes, Hey, man, you know what really sucked about the prequels? Everything just kind of felt stitched together. A bunch of random shit happening for no reason, you know? A giant pit suddenly opens up and the TIE fighter falls into it and disappears. Chip's all, Uh, Pone! No! He opens the windshield, tenderly takes out a pair of blood-spattered leather pants, and sadly blows dust onto them. Then he's all, Rest in peace, his brief acquaintance. You were brunette, I think. Meanwhile, an Australian woman collects CG rust from the insides of nearby crashed Star Destroyers and gets paid in abalone by a man with a chin. (laughs) Dingus, that's right from the script, all right? (laughs) Okay. That's Kasdan. And Sorkin did uh, punch-up. For safety reasons, she wears a mask shaped like a T and tinted black while she works. She also has a pet stick. When she gets to the abalone counter, the chin guy rakes in her stuff, slaps poi on the counter, and goes, An amount of a fifth quotient. She's all, but last week my metal shavings was worth 11 tenths of that. All the customers waiting in line point and laugh at the counter. Sadly, she leaves. One night, while she's sitting in her tent practicing inactivity, she hears some random clanking outside. She's all, oh, that sounds like a miniature robot in a knit. She dashes from the tent to investigate. <laughs> She's the force to hear that, by the way. Well, how the force works. <laughs> a horse awakened her. It's weird because the, ro- the droids aren't force sensitive, but they are always sensed. Never mind. A horse made out of Muppets cantering past gargles gibberish at her. I nudge Jar Jar and go, looks like we know which Star Wars character you are. He says something inane, so I pretend the noise is coming out of his mouth or lasers. The Australian girl cuts the net off the horse, even though it's part of his body. She's all, Roy, I'm taking this droid from you because you're greedy. What's your name, little round fella? Beep, boop, beeps 88 times. She's all, then from now on, we's partners. The next day. (laughs) Whoa, how does that robot move on that round thing? I'll give you 600 million integers for it. (laughs) She's all, it's called a unitesticle. Also known as a wheel. All the other customers mutter excitedly at this strange word and look at nearby round rocks more thoughtfully. She's all, and he has a name with numbers in it, and he's not for sale. Come on, Beep Boop. Let's go find somewhere else not to sell ya. Beep Boop says a bunch of stuff that translates as what? They walk off. The chin guy gestures to some CG and goes, I want the wheel alive. The next day, Chip's walking in medium close-up when suddenly he sees some characters getting assaulted by the Australian girl. He tries to help them, but by the time he's tripping over a tent pole, they're all dead. (laughs) He turns around to do nothing, then gets a better look at the girl. (laughs) Clearing his throat, he walks over to her, starts to talk, then trips again. She's all, Oi, how many times I gotta tell you people me robot's not for sale to get pawed at and reprogrammed? He's all, It's not the robot I'm interested in doing all that to. I mean, uh, I'm with the Resistance, which is what the Rebellion's called in this one. Wait, I thought they won in Jedi. Isn't the Empire now the Resistance? She's all, I'm Australian. He's all, right, I got that. Uh, no backstory? 
you find that at in episode 10. Some stormtroopers walk on screen and begin shooting at them. Beep, boop, chirps, and twaddles while they dodge lasers by hiding behind sand grains. Chips all, what's he saying? Something like, look out, lasers. You get his backstory and Epi love it. By the way, I own the Millennium Falcon. It's parked 10 feet from here. Let's go. She pulls a tarp off the Millennium Falcon and they get in it. Chip gets behind the gun turret controls and sighs miserably. Great, what's this fire button do? The Australian girls all, hang on. All the TIE fighters explode. She's all, that was a close one. Now come on, beep boop. Time to get you to life day before Jefferson Starship. Suddenly a Star Destroyer parks above them and sucks them in on a tractor beam. She's all, damn, quick. Everybody hide behind beep boop. Not you, beep boop. <sighs> Chicken shit. Two spacesuited figures come on board. One of them walks cockily but creakily. The other one's tall and has brown fur sticking out between the suit's elbow joints and codpiece. Han Solo takes off his space helmet, looks around at the darkness, and goes, Well, Chewie, we're home. Wow. Music plays. Chewbacca takes off his helmet and goes, Han Solo's all. I recognized her from the outside while we were soaking her in, too. But saying we're home at that point wouldn't have been as impactful. What the... Please, I know I'm Australian and he's black, but don't shoot. How did you end up in possession of the most famous ship in movie history? You'll find that out in episode 19. Beep Boop makes a bunch of chirpy blort noises. Chewbacca nods and goes... <laughs> Han's all. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. We've got to stop. I mean, Hans all. Don't worry, I speak exposition. Chewie says the Australian girl has to go to a knockoff of the cantina from episode four to have her palm read by a worm with eyeglasses named Canada and then have a hallucination in a basement so she can open a box with a callback in it. Chip snaps a fresh magazine into his blaster rifle and goes, Now you're talking. The magazine's an issue of Maxim with J.J. on the cover. The girl's all. The force is telling me to ask which way's the bar. What do I look like? Han Solo's all. Oh, back on the planet you just came from. Like right next to where the Falcon was parked. Which Han Solo do you look like better? That one. The Dejaric chessboard flickers listlessly. C-3PO comes out of a closet and goes, uh, Don't play the Wookiee at that. That's how I got this red arm. Uh, although my masturbation subroutine also... They all throw restraining bolts at him till he goes back into the closet. They fly back to Tent World while Star Wars music plays. Then they get to the bar, Han's all, I'm not in this part. In fact, I don't think I'm even in the movie yet. Kelly got confused. He walks off. Chips all, By the way, I've decided not to be part of the group anymore. He walks off. Beep Boop prattles a bunch of shit and also leaves. The Australian girl rolls her eyes and walks up to a worm with eyeglasses, serving drinks and turning tricks. The worm takes a hand, squints at it, and goes, I see two more films after this one. Josh Trank will no longer be involved. She's all, uh, that's your hand. Oh, sorry. Yours says, go down to basement, get lightsaber from trunk, make intense face. The Australian girl sighs, goes downstairs, opens the trunk, and gets Luke's lightsaber. She's all, wow, what episode do we find out how this got here? Abrams is all, uh, I'm thinking 16. 
a bunch of nerds in costume near me whisper excitedly and stand up and leave to go get in line. Chip walks on screen and goes, hey, I'm with the group again. Beep Boop rolls on screen and vomits oil all over them. Han Solo's all, he said, look out behind you, stormtroopers. People run from lasers set to an orchestra. Then they get in the ship and fly off again, chased by two TIE fighters and towards a single small asteroid. C-3PO's all, Master Solo, our odds of surviving this is 17 out of 18. Chip's all, uh, Master? The Australian girl pulls a light switch off the wall and goes, Look, I just compressed the bypasser. Han Solo makes an expression. Chewie's all, he says, hang on, we're on our way to Cameo 4. He presses the CG button, and they go into a wormhole with eyeglasses. Meanwhile, on the Death Star XL, Admiral Redhair walks out onto a cliff, stands before a bunch of stormtroopers, and goes, Now, let's hear it for the all-new First Order 2.0! All the stormtroopers rhythmically hit their heads against ceilings, while the Death Star XL shoots a giant red laser across the galaxy, blowing up shit. As one planet blows up, a guy doing a wedding toast on its all... Wait, what's happening? He dies. (laughs) Kylo looks at Captain Phantasma and goes, Excellent. Be sure to turn it off before it does a full circle and hits us from behind. I lean over to Howard the Duck sitting beside me, but don't say anything. The Millennium Falcon flies to a movie set with Princess Leia on it. She gives Han a grandma hug and goes, Still up your crazy antics again, you scruffy-looking old churn nurturer. (laughs) Jeez. Wow. He's all, I know, Mother, I know. They hug again, dustily. I look over at Zarda's Sean Connery and go, talk about negative power coupling. The Australian girl's all, rebellion extras. This droid here contains top secret plans, but they're all, yeah, yeah. And hoist beep boop into a kennel, thrashing and hissing, and cart him over towards a guy with a power saw. Meanwhile, Chip's all, Pone, you're alive. Pone's all, yeah, I was thrown clear somehow and forgot to tell you. I left my pants inside the TIE fighter and got off the planet somehow. Later. Meanwhile, in the CG briefing room, <laughs> a guy with a laser pointer's all, gentlemen, princess general, new characters, beep-boo, private Jenkins, Chewbacca, Dr. Evazan's grandson, my lovely wife Barbara, Colonel 3PO, this here was the original Death Star. <laughs> he points to a round black dot on the star map. Then he's all, and this is the Death Star XL. Some other CG looks way bigger. As it grows in size, some of the rebels whistle and cheer and slow clap. Dingus is all, nice! (laughs) (laughs) The general's all, "Uh, guys, it's our enemy. Akbar's all, something of that magnitude is no match for our Star Destroyers. (laughs) Everyone pats him sympathetically and puts him back in his wheelchair and rolls him into the bathroom. Leah's all, I wish to abdicate. The generals all. Also, this is how big Emperor Palpatine was in the other movies, and this is how tall the episode seven one is. He demonstrates using CG. Everybody's all dark side metachlorians, more cytoplasm. Harry Knowles raises his hand and goes, "Can't we just call Leonard Nimoy and ask him what to do?" Beep says something tart in response. All the pilots laugh and trickle off to their alphabet wings. Han and Leah try to kiss without teeth. He's all, don't worry, Mother, I'll have that shield down in time or not. She's all, just don't step on a twig this time. (laughs) (laughs) I know, Mother, I know. And may the force be... He waves her off in annoyance. Come on, Chewie, fire up. And the ship also. 
On the same driveway where Chip and Pone had their big moment, Chip bumps into the Australian girl. Oi, Chip! Hey, uh, you? <laughs> I just wanted to say I'm glad you rejoined the group, and we couldn't have got into this slowly without you. I just wanted to say I'm glad you rejoined the group, and we couldn't have gotten here this slowly without you. Well, we stormtroopers have a pretty intense reputation to uphold in the mythos. Anyway, good luck sneaking into the Death Star. We're all counting on you. What? You volunteered to lead the mission. We need you to decode the JAMA frequency at the reactor core. The Death Star XLAs may actually start aiming at something. Yeah, I've been thinking. Uh, I just said that to get laid. I'm out of the group again. Being a stormtrooper was just a better fit for me. Faceless, ineffectual, clanky. White. Beat Boot makes a speech. He's all, good point, let's go. All the alphabet wings take off. The Death Star XL has trees on it. <laughs> that was weird. The laser should have burned those up. The Millennium Falcon lands on it, and as Leah watches anxiously from HQ, Han Solo hobbles down the landing ramp along with all the other characters. Beep Boop twirls and choops for a few minutes. Over the intercom, Leah's all, he says his name's Beep Boop. <laughs> Han Solo's all pipe down, mother. He steps on a twig. Alarms go off. <laughs> Stormtroopers point at them and run away. Han Solo's all, god damn it. Uh, forgot my gun. Chewie, give me yours. <laughs> he takes the bowcaster and squints at it. Chips all, hey, what's the fire button on that do? The Australian girl comes into view with a bloody lightsaber and a bunch of dripping stormtrooper heads. She's all, never mind, we're good. Meanwhile, in space, Tope Leader, there's a trench coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Use your joysticks to evade the cannon fire, and they're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." (laughs) Seen the other movies. Back on the XL, Kylo stomps across the bridge in the chasm room. When he's about halfway across, (laughs) it's on the way to the trench. It's just all trenches and chasms. That's what powers it. When he's about halfway across, Han Solo calls out, Baru! Kylo stops short, turns, and sees his father. The Australian girl, Chewbacca, and all the stormtroopers in the entire facility all suddenly look up and watch curiously from various railings without helping. Han Solo walks up to Kylo and hugs him. Han's all, you staying warm in this thing? Your mother will kill me if anything happens to your mask. Here, take it off. Ugh, God. Never mind. Put it back on. Look, I know you've been making the space station we're on and killing billions of people for reasons we'll find out in episode 38. In fact, just between us, I'm here to lower the shields and blow you up. But as your estranged father, I just want to say that this isn't what your mother and I had in mind for your future, and it's not too late to pretend all the intergalactic atrocities you've been committing for decades never have. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking about Hollywood homicide. <laughs> I was thinking maybe we should just kill your mother. Oh, your lightsaber cross guard has in my bed, Chris. He falls into the chasm while everyone but the stormtrooper screams. In the Rebel HQ, Leah's face falls. 
and she also reacts to Han's death. <laughs> Jesus. Too soon. <laughs> what? My teeth are normal, Tom. I'm the same character. Who's cartoon the edge? An alarm is all. Warning. Warning. Death Star XL shields down. Anticlimax imminent. Repeat. The characters run through the Death Star's snow forest till they encounter Kylo, who got there ahead of them by using the dark side. Chip yoinks the lightsaber from the girl's utility belt, goes, I got this, and charges Adam Driver, screaming, This is for Gary! <laughs> Chip! Damn you, possible sibling. You'll pay for making me black friend fall asleep. And I won't fall for your cross guard trick so easily, because in me the force is awakened. It's awokened. It's awoken. A woman, this boss, see, it showed me using me hand. A cliff shows up and ruins the fight. The Millennium Falcon lands next to the girl. She grabs Chip's leg, drags him on board, and they fly past stuff. Over the radio, Pone's all, hey, I blew up the Death Star, by the way. The Falcon flies back to Rebel 3. Beep Boop rolls down the ramp and Tootle chorps a bunch of stuff. The rebels all look at the girl expectantly. She's all, he says the Death Star's blown up again. Han Solo's dead and the black character's fate's uncertain. A cheer goes up. Leah heroically composes her features <laughs> and goes, now to find where my brother's standing. They put a jigsaw puzzle of the galaxy up on the display and then carefully set the plain black corner piece that Beep Boop was carrying into place. Leah's all, damn, the planet right next to us all along. That's so Luke. Chip's still asleep, so the Australian girl goes to pat his forehead goodbye. She's all, the force tells me we'll probably have similar adventures again. Hopefully you'll have a bionic face. She and Beep Boop and Chewbacca, who's bearing up strangely well, take off from Rebel Central. Everybody gathered at HQ waves goodbye to the sky. The Millennium Falcon flies to the planet made out of mildew stairs. For some reason, she parks at the bottom and climbs them all to the top. A robed figure is noisily peeing midichlorians onto the rocks, then turns. She reaches into her cloak, pulls out his lightsaber, and makes her usual face. He turns around some more. His cloak falls away, revealing a nude 70-year-old Mark Hamill. He starts peeing again. Some words are all directed by J.J. Abrams. I look over at Qui-Gon's ghost and go, even the second initial's a clone. He makes a hand gesture at me, so I make one back. The end. Kelly Warren, I'm getting the sense that you are uh, – this took a little life out of you. You're a little underwhelmed. I liked some things. I hated other things. By the end, I, overall, I think I felt disappointed. Okay. Okay. Fair um, enough. I, I think I get that sense from you. The first uh, half hour, I think I was really into it, and mm-hmm. then bit by bit, pieces of me died. But I also, too, at the same time, like, what did I expect? I mean, this is the best Star Wars 7 we probably could ever have gotten. I'm, in that regard, I'm kind of with you. When I actually went to go see it, I was kind of like, you know, I'd kind of rather just stay home and work on some stuff. Like, I, it, yeah, I just wasn't really looking that forward to it. I feel like I'm kind of over the Star Wars thing, and I... Yeah, me too. When I went into the theater, I was like, okay, let's just get this over with. At least maybe it'll be snappy. It'll have some cool action sequences, and then I can go back to what I was doing before. Um, but I think I'm going to have to part ways with you uh, uh, because of what actually happened in the theater. So <laughs> let's go real quick to Dingus. Dingus, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you're, you're not of the Kelly Wand opinion about this thing, right? 
oh god, no, I'm totally over the moon. I'm I'm yeah, exhilarated. So I, I came I came out of this movie. Uh, On wings. Oh my gosh, I'm totally in love with this movie. I am so exhilarated. I, I left it exhilarated. For for folks listening, they may not know. Like Dingus and I are roommates. We live in the same house. Uh, and I went early Friday morning or Friday afternoon. Dingus went early Saturday morning. Uh, we've both sort of been buzzing around the house with this sort of barely contained glee uh, because we, we make a habit of not talking about movies that we've seen until we get on the podcast to do it so that it kind of unfolds uh, naturally. Uh, and I think both Dingus and I have just sort of there, – there's been this – yeah, this sort of glee beaming around the house after we've gotten out of this movie. And Maybe I, if I I'm, live there. I'm still buzzing from it. I mean I'm just I'm just slightly tipsy with joy. It, it kicked in early on, and I was just grinning ear to ear for the whole time. I mean, I was so the, – the overwhelming feeling I had was gratitude that someone, A, didn't fuck it up, and B, just really sucked me back into the whole Star Wars thing again. Yeah. Really? I didn't Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely didn't feel that way. Yeah, I, I'm, telling, I'm telling you, uh, I was uh, sitting in the in the living room watching a movie when Tom came back from going to the movies, and he was positively beaming. I mean, he he could not have hidden it. It was I was like, what the hell it's is going on with that guy? Was right after I saw it, I like got on a 13 hour plane flight, so maybe. I didn't get the chance to buzz and like think about it properly. So uh, it was hitting me during the movie. I mean, at, in the movie, I was like, "This is amazing." I mean, I was just won over early, and you know, I've got a few issues I'm looking forward to talking about, but I just couldn't be happier with this thing. Like Dingus said, I'm also over the moon. So Kelly, one, we're gonna uh, Dingus. I'm at five percent. You're in the five percent, Kelly Wan. Yes. <laughs> well, you wouldn't say you didn't recommend it. Like, sort of. No, no. I totally say it's worth yeah. seeing, and it's as it's it destroys the prequels, which is what it's is all. I totally, and that was what I was totally willing to settle for. And it's quality wise, like it's so much. You're saying it's so much better than the. Yeah, and I yeah, love. Right. Like, yeah, and he did. I love a lot of the choices that he made, and I love the Han Solo thing, and I love a lot of little things about it, and little moments, and I love Poe. I was I was bummed he wasn't in the movie more. I thought the plot was way too complicated. Like I didn't know who was doing what. Like it, like, and the first Star Wars is such a simple thing, and I kind of missed that simplicity. Like, none of the characters felt as like it, once Han Solo got came into it, it got a little more exciting. But I think without him, it would have been lamer, definitely. Okay, so Dingus, you're our biggest Star Wars fan here, and I, I review about this a lot. And you, uh, uh, why don't you explain like what what made this work for you? Like, why are you so over the moon about this thing that? For, for instance, you can make the argument that this is kind of a retread, you know, mm-hmm. almost plot point for plot point. You could you could do a plot synopsis, a fairly detailed one, and you could make it where it would apply to both Star Wars and this movie. And Kelly Wan sort of hinted at some of that. Uh, was that a problem for you? And if not, what what made this whole thing work for you, Dingus? I was a little nervous at first when I found out we were entrusting a droid with plans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jeez, I don't know how to describe it. Part of it is was the experience. Uh, I would say that's a minor part, but uh, I was in a huge theater full of people who were cheering all the way through. Um, but it, it's more than that. I uh, I was sort of, you know, Tom, you used the word gratitude, I believe, or you said you were grateful. Absolutely, I was just I was just so happy with J.J. Abrams, who, who, by the way, that was one of my problems too. Is Super Eight I thought was terrible. The Star Trek movies were kind of fine, but I didn't have any sense that J.J. Abrams was going to do justice 
He's a sure. tribute man, but he's a tribute to Star Wars. So, but see, Kelly, well, that's where I'll, I'll, you know, I'll talk in a minute. But that's where I kind of disagree. Is there was something going on completely different here for me. So, the thing is, yeah, that's what I felt. I was just so grateful that that J.J. Abrams, who had just sort of been middling to me up to this point, rose to the occasion. So, yeah, gratitude. Dingus, that's totally what I was feeling during it. Yeah, and I totally agree with you because uh, my sense of gratitude is that I feel like he reclaimed this series for us. Um, he took it back. I mean, I don't, I don't say taking it back from George Lucas. I mean, that's probably I would say fair. that. Why would you not yeah. say that? Because he so because George Lucas sold it. Uh, but it is. Oh, take, well. OK, fair enough. <laughs> it, it, is, it is taking it back in the way that it restores wonder. Right. And it also restores in a very simple way uh, the the ability of actors to actually act these parts. Absolutely. Which which George Lucas stole from us as far as the prequels are concerned, because he hates working with actors. Um, And this guy knows how to work with them. He knows how to cast it. Uh, They, I mean, it's not just one guy who casts it. I mean, obviously it's a whole legion of people who cast a movie, Um, but he knows how to work with actors and he cares about actors. And you can feel that all the way through the acting in in this is excellent. And, you know, one of the great discoveries of this is, is I, I mean, I, I really avoided finding out who was in this movie. I avoided everything about it. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't know necessarily, the, or, or I or willfully didn't remember that Adam Driver was going to show up, or uh, I don't know. I, I knew that Harrison Ford was going to show up, but I figured it was just going to be a goofy cameo. And then he winds up being a centerpiece of the movie, and really important. Yeah. And the way that works, and the way they're, they're just sort of honest about their ages and everything, yeah. It just felt like this is the natural progression and even an, a natural understanding of what balance means in the first movies that I think we lost. And so he really restores balance to the Star Wars galaxy. He restores this, this franchise, this thing that I love from my youth. And now as, a, as an older man, uh, you know, I, I can share it with my son, who was at the, basically the age I was when – I watched it for the first time in a theater and just feel exhilarated. I mean, I'm, I, I, I can't put it any better than you did, Tom, to say that I'm just grateful that it, it isn't just that I'm grateful that he didn't fuck it up. I'm, I'm grateful that he, he's made something that, that's better than the others. I mean, he, he made something that is quite phenomenal in this day and age of having to make something that is a, that it isn't a reboot, but but is a sequel and yet still reclaims the the mythos that I love so much. I'm I, I I'm gushing, but I can't help it. So here's how I would put it too, because Dingus, I'm I'm completely with you. But for for me, the way I would express some of what you're talking about, uh, I, I I've said before, like I love Star Wars. I think Star Wars is a great movie. Uh, I, I sort of needle Dingus sometimes because I don't think any of the actors are really good in it. They eventually find their own. Uh, I've said before, I think the best performance in Star Wars is Peter Cushing because he's a veteran of these kind of movies with Hammer Studios and whatnot. Uh, and the other people, they're, they're, they're a little green. Uh, and even George Lucas. Uh, but, but part of the brilliance of the original Star Wars is George Lucas. Here was this guy from USC who was young and hungry and, and, and really inspired and wanted to do something cool. Uh, and that comes through. There's a certain rawness in Star Wars that I think endures and that overcomes any of the clunkiness of any of the actors. Uh, and and I, I like Star Wars for that. This, for me, is J.J. Abrams 
who is not – he doesn't have that like young, raw, fresh out of USC film student vibe. J.J. Abrams knows what he's doing. He knows how to get really good actors. Like you said, Dingus, he knows how to work with actors. He knows what makes good dialogue. He knows plotting. He knows pacing. Uh, he knows he knows visual style. You know, say what you will about the lens flare in the Star Trek movies. That was a stylistic choice. Yeah. Uh, he he he's just got so much like character and experience and craft. I feel, even if it doesn't work for me, you know, even Super Eight, which I think is terrible, he's a solid filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. He's not inept. Uh, if anything, <laughs> things like Super Eight and Star Trek to me are too polished. Uh, but this, that that experience and that ability to work with actors and that craft and just knowing what it takes to create entertainment. That is is married, is coupled with obvious affection for the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I mean, J.J. Abrams, like, he's uh, super eight, is so affectionate towards Close Encounters, doesn't quite know what to do with it. But this is that kind of affection. But I, I, I think it just it works and it comes through so much better. And it even, I don't mind the least that it hits the Star Wars beats, like almost plot point for plot point. Mm-hmm. Because it is basically giving us this familiarity, but it's not a tired familiarity. I don't feel it's out of laziness. I feel it's out of affection. This idea of hiding plans in a droid, of a barren desert planet, of a huge space weapon, uh, of a, a World War II dogfight with, with these cool fighters. I mean, it's just him wanting to take a crack at these things that George Lucas did for him probably when he was a kid. Uh, and it just just the affection and the love just comes through pretty much every frame of this and and just i get wrapped up in it yeah something lucas got dinged for when he made star wars but i always thought was one of its greatest assets was like how everybody talks super fast during it so that you you can barely even understand what they're saying like watch your mouth kiddos you find yourself flying back home it's like and he like the actors hated doing that and they and harrison ford griped about it like famously but i always thought that was like sort of what made it Star Wars interesting is like it just felt like it was crammed with stuff happening, like just the dialogue sure. so fast because he was saving space for that half-hour dogfight at the end, which I thought was amazing. It's a seven-year-old, but like he also introduced the characters a lot really well in, in A New Hope. And in this, I, it, it was bugging me a lot that I didn't know why Daisy Ridley was on the planet or like the backstory for why the lights, how Luke's lightsaber got there or any of that stuff. And it seemed out of character for me that Luke would hide like he's hiding on a far away. What what I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but it it sort of seems like this movie wasn't really about Luke's motivations. It was about, and by the way, this is another thing that I think destroys the sequels. The crawl very clearly is like, okay, look, we're going to have a new (laughs) empire. They're the first order. Right. Uh, The rebellion's the resistance. Just trust us on that. Here's the central mystery. Yeah. What happened to Luke Skywalker? Right. And and it's, it's not going to solve that. It's just going to be about people pursuing that mystery. Yeah. And we know this is serialized movie making. We know that this is Disney. This is, they're doing their Marvel Universe. They're doing their Star Wars Universe. So very early on, it's upfront about this is going to be familiar, but here's the central mystery. Where is Luke Skywalker? Uh, and, and that's kind of all I needed to know. The fact that – who is she? Way, I'm totally okay with us not needing to know anything else about her. She's an orphan on a planet, and right. she's got she's got I don't know midichlorians in her. Uh, mm. I, I don't really need an elaborate. I mean, God, I hope they're not going to do something where she's 
Rilo, Kylo Ren's sister. Or I think she is, and that's what I'm saying. Like we always, oh, like, when we first meet Luke, he's like a nobody, and that's why what's kind of exciting about that movie is in, in two hours he goes from like bitching and moaning about power converters to like well, right. But he's also got a secret destiny. He's not a nobody. He's dark. No, I know, but she's definitely not. Like she's. Thing is, what's your take on this? Do we need to know more about her? Is there going to be some reveal it, where she's like Luke's other daughter yeah. or something? Well, I think Why would they say Luke's other it? daughter. Oh, well, I think she could be Luke's, Luke's other child. She, no, Han Solo's other. Daughter. Oh, right, right, right. Luke's daughter. Right, right. Han Solo. Yeah. See, I think I'm she could be Luke's this. daughter. I mean, I, I mean, but I think that it's it's all wrapped up for me in Maz, in what Maz says, which is basically that's a good question for another time and that i have no problem with that whatsoever because what what i was at at that point was yeah i'm on board for two more of these if you want to answer these questions later on i'm fine and in fact if they hadn't even gone to find luke at the end of this movie i would have been fine i would have been fine with this movie ending with them finding the map and then um uh ray and chewbacca taking off in the Millennium Falcon as happens at the end of Empire and just blasting off to go find Luke and then that happens later on. I'm fine with the way it ended the way it is too. But these that these questions can Wait. be tabled for later on, that's fine with me. I, I don't care about that because the characters are so fascinating to me. She and she is such a great character in the way she this is. movie deals with all of its female characters is so Fucking she acts like it's all really happening, which is kind of a weird. That's unusual in a Star Wars movie. She's amazing. She's yeah. absolutely wonderful. But all of the female characters in this are wonderful, and they don't have to, like, when they don't have to be saved by somebody. That that moment where uh, where Finn comes running to to uh, save her that you joked about in the Opsis, and then he has this look on his face like, "Oh, I didn't." Have to. Yeah. I was bummed Poe got sidelined though. I was really digging that character, and he kind of gets shelved. Well, I like him. I like. I like yeah. him, but I think he'll play a part later on. I mean, yeah, I don't think you get shelved. It's like we're basically. Yeah, I, him. I don't know. I know it's Han's movie, and that I, I, it's like I get the logic of it. But. I was going to say I don't think he gets shelved. I think that he kind of plays us into a story about Finn and Ray. Like yeah. they're the the perspective of the audience. Through them, we're going to learn things. They're basically, uh, in a way, it's sort of like. Spielberg clumsily tried to do a crystal skull. Let's hand over the mantle from Harrison Ford's child. I, I sort of feel like that's their function here, and I'm totally okay with it because they're both fantastic, I think. Uh, you know, I immediately fell in love with both characters, and I think both actors are, are just really, really good. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's so much that, that Poe Dameron gets sidelined. He's just it, – it's not his story. He's going to be mm. the cavalry that comes in and saves them at one point, and that's fantastic because Oscar Isaac's – who else? I wouldn't. I can't think of anyone else I'd rather have come save me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and and it's the thing too is that an important part of Star Wars, and I don't think we necessarily appreciate this because we were kids at the time, but it was an important part of it is that Star Wars didn't have famous people in it. Right. You know, Peter Cushing, of course. Uh, oh, but, Guinness. And, and certainly Alec Guinness, right? But uh, you could say too, oh, they sidelined Alec Guinness about Star Wars, and that's not the point. The point is that it's about Luke Skywalker. He's in it for two thirds of the movie, though. And like they only cut him because he was doing nothing during the Death Star battle. Which well, I'm saying he's not. Like, it's not oh. from his perspective. He is. Uh, he, he's like another piece of of the, the world there. And sure, they meet up with him. His death is super significant. But 
it, it's not, you know, it's about Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia. I think I'd just rather have had Poe on board the ship than Deep Boo. But my point is, though, that Oscar Isaacs is famous. Like, I look at him and, uh, you know, I see Oscar Isaacs. I look at Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, uh, and I don't have any preconceptions. Like, right. I am theirs to win over completely. You know, it's all new to me. It's meeting new people. And it's kind of, too, like, like Rebecca Ferguson in the Mission Impossible movie. Uh, seeing an yeah. actress and an actor in John Boyega's case who are just so completely unknown to me and just so fascinating. Uh, it's they're so committed. Stuff. They're so committed to yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not leaving anything on the, on the floor. They're just, we're going to do everything. We're going to just lay it all out there and we're just totally taking a chance. And you don't get any of that from, uh, from Hayden Christensen or even Natalie Portman. They're just so like, it's almost like they're sleepwalking, but I blame that on George Lucas. These, these two are just, they're, they're just so committed. Everybody in this movie is so committed. and, And that's, that's really a director who knows how to, how to get some, get stuff out of his actors. Okay, Dingus, you say that, but Kelly Wan uh, mentioned this, and I'll wait in a second, but how did you feel uh, about Harrison Ford in this and what he was doing, what they were doing with him? I loved him in this, and I'm shocked because, you know, we've we've gone back and forth with the, the whole uh, Dwayne Johnson versus Harrison Ford thing, and you've, you've kind of chiseled away at the idea that Harrison Ford is any good at anything. Um, no, I don't mean that. I mean, I just, I, I love Harrison Ford too, but I kind of feel that in his more recent movies, he's kind of stopped trying. Whereas right. someone like Dwayne Johnson, no matter how crappy the material is, he, he puts his all into it. Um, right. And, and you think this, of like Ender's Game and how boring he was in right, that. Right. He, was in, he was in Ender's Game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <remember. laughs> so, oh, wow. so, so that, that's, I don't mean to chip away at Harrison Ford. I still love the guy. Um, but but okay so so given that thing is how did you feel then about him in, in Force Unleashed? I'm really impressed. With, <laughs> um, with Force, God, he, I'm sorry, Force Awakened. Please don't let me make that a common mistake. It's not Awakened. Either, Force Awakened wrong again. Yeah, the Force yeah. Awakens. It's an active thing. Awakens. Jesus. It's still oh. awakening. Um, Can I, I just think, call it Star Wars Seven. Ugh. I think to a certain extent, uh, <laughs> in the in even in a new Ho- in the in the first Star Wars movie, which you refuse to call a New Hope, and I respect that, Tom. Um, he he has a way of delivering lines that sounds kind of like let me get this line over with. It's like easy. You call that easy? Oh God! Right, right. <laughs> the, the way he says things. I mean, he's, he hates. You know, he's famously high most of the time. He's doing it. Um, he's but making it, it better. In this, he he has this willingness, and I love this. He has this willingness to carry with him the weight of the years, and he's not afraid. You know, in my notes, I wrote this this note where. Um, where Ray says, uh, I, I didn't know there was this much green in all of the galaxy. And he gives her this look. And in my notes, you know, scrawling in the darkness, I wrote sadness. Um, but it's not sadness, really. Uh, it's, it's more of this sense of, of the passage of years, of, uh, I don't know if the word would be pathos or, I don't know, I don't know quite how to express it. This, this ability and this willingness to understand this is the life I have led. I'm carrying the years with me. I'm going to show them to you in my expressions, and I'm going to show them to you in the way I walk, because necessarily this is the way I run, this is the way I walk, this is the way I am right now because of all of the years and all of the mileage on my body. (laughs) In this particular movie, I feel like Harrison Ford is showing us all of that totally willingly, along with this idea of having lost a child and his responsibility for that and having lost 
um, the mother of his child because of the way they had to deal with the loss of it, loss of that child. And I think that he he bears all of that beautifully while still being willing to have I don't know not willing to have but still portraying or still conveying I'm sorry this comic sensibility that Han Solo always had you know the the ability to look at at, at Chewbacca and say really you're cold I mean they, they, or that's not how the force works these little moments that he still <laughs> is able to make me laugh but I still feel such pain in him uh, and and I don't know that I've seen that from Harrison Ford in a really long time. That willingness to just show me this is how old I am and this is how uh, broken my character is. Um, the way the way that I was reading that at first, Dingus, and I was a little worried about this, was his sort of standard tiredness and being noncommittal. Right. And at first I was kind of like, oh, God, okay. Uh, Wish Lee like, Johnson was here. <laughs> kind of, in a way. But as this comes out, that he has lost his son, and of course he's older, I kind of feel he earns the ability – to play it like he's a little bit, a bit of a burnout. Yeah. Um, well, he, he says that thing about, you know, at first I, I made fun of the Force. Well, here, so Dingus, this is where it totally won me over. And I was like, oh, I love you again, Harrison Ford. Uh, there's a point where he, I forget, he, says it, he must say this to Ray. Uh, he says it's true, all of it, the Force, the Jedi. Maybe he says it to Finn. Uh, but at one point, he basically proclaims it's true, all of it, the Force, Jedi. Yeah. And he says it. Like a little wistfully, and, and what's important about that is that he says it because he's the guy who used to call this a hokey religion, and it's kind of like – I don't know an equivalent, but it's kind of like having a Santa Claus denier tell you that, yeah, you know what? Santa Claus actually exists. That bugs me. And it's somebody you trust all the more because he's the one who didn't believe in Santa Claus. He was doing great with that. And it's it. just such a – like it so won me over at that point, and that line too – I feel like Harrison Ford kind of stirred awake, and that was kind of the point of that moment, mm-hmm. um, is that he realizes that he was kind of wrong all of his life, and that this wonderful, beautiful, miraculous thing that he had denied is, in fact, true, and it's important that he tells that. I wish I remembered who he was talking to when he said that, though. Isn't he saying it during that first moment where BB-8 shows the map, and he's kind of walking through the map and telling them that? I thought it was a little later. Like I thought it was Uh-oh. when they were getting. Re- I could be wrong, but it, whenever it is in the movie, it, it he basically said it to me. Like I don't care who yeah, he's talking to in right. the movie. You're right. You're right. Uh, and that just that just meant so much to me. And it was just so. I was just so affected by how he said it, who said it, and what he said. That was just a great moment for me. Right. I agree. Um, Jesus. <laughs> do you not like do you not like his performance? No, I like the Han Solo parts actually. I think the Adam Driver. All right, let's talk about that. Yeah, how did you feel about Adam Driver? How did you feel about Lena Headey's girlfriend? Or no, not Lena Headey. Uh, who's the girl in Pearls? She's, she's Lena Headey's girlfriend. No, no, uh, Lena oh. Headey. What the hell's wrong with you? I know Lena. Who's the Lena That's Dunham? Dunham. Lena Dunham's Lena girl Dunham. boyfriend. Dunham. How did you feel about Lena Dunham's boyfriend from Girls being our villain, Kelly Wand? Um, what's his backstory? We'll find out later. Got it. All right, another punt. What do you think? Is he a good lightsaber? He loses his only lightsaber duel, so he sucks. He's worse than Vader. All we know about him is he has tants. We don't know how he ascended to power. Um, he wins right, so two of his lightsaber duels because they're ones against like a bunch of like core, uh, like a bunch of uh, control panels, and the others against a wall. <laughs> yeah. 
He chooses his opponents, yeah, pretty wisely, I think. You can beat those things. He's very terrifying. I don't know. I I saw the what was going to happen on the chasm scene. That was one of my big problems, was how telegraphed that was. Too telegraphed. And it's because here's thing. the thing, Kelly Wan. It's supposed to be, I think, you know, a counterpart to I Am Your Father. And I don't remember right. how smart I was as a kid, but I remember – that seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah, because like, he's trying to kill him right up to that point. Right, exactly. And I don't think that was telegraphed at all in Empire Strikes Back. Whereas this, I kind of knew, even like a couple of minutes yeah. before it happened. The way it's shot, too. Yeah, I mean, it just felt... Uh, yeah, and... Uh, so ah, that, that kind of... it was Gotcha. A, it was an important moment, but I did feel like it was played a little too obviously. Um, but I, I don't blame, by the way... It makes Han look like an idiot, which so... And, I don't blame Harrison Ford or Adam Driver for what, that. What are you guys talking about? I think that what was do you mean that makes Han look like an idiot? Because he's on a mission. He can't be fucking around like that. Well, I don't think he knows it's going to happen. The audience knows it's going to happen. Luke, Luke, when Luke tried to turn Vader, he was like, look, I'll either succeed or I won't, but, you know, blow up the Death Star regardless of what happens to me. But, he's like, Han's about- there to blow up. Han's there to, like, this is a big, important mission, and in the middle of it, he breaks to go, hey, kid. I think the shield's already down at that point, though. This is, is his it? son. He's this, he's not going, hey, kid. He's coming he's, to save his son at the behest of his son's mother. Right, right, not, exactly. Like you say, he's on, a, he's on a mission to lower the shields, and that gets done, but he's – you know, he sees his son, and he's been told by Leia, bring him home. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but then you stun him, and then you get him on the ship. <laughs> you don't go, hey, I'll hold your lightsaber for you. Whoa. Like, this guy's killed billions of people. He's not going to turn that easy. Well, here, Dingus, go ahead, Dingus. No, go ahead. Well, here, here's why that I'm okay with that, and here's how I felt about Adam Driver. So I, I loved him in this. I, yeah, I loved how, <laughs> I loved how he wasn't playing a Darth Vader. He True. wasn't just trying to be a big, tall, menacing guy. He was basically Max Landis. No, well, no, he was a little no, like emo in a way. Hell like he, he wasn't. He wasn't this this Vader esque uh, monolithic slab of evil. He was an uncertain kid. You find out who w- it kind of seems to be feeling his way through this thing. That's uh, how it's and I I love this about how he played it. Uh, I love how his voice wasn't necessarily this like evil commanding thing. It was almost kind of like neutral, like a Hal kind of thing. Uh, and when he take I. I'm so happy, too, when people take off their goofy hats in these movies. <laughs> I'm so glad that at a couple of key moments, he takes off his silly hat. And it wasn't that silly. I was actually thought it was a cool hat. But at yeah. a couple of key moments, I mean, J.J. Abrams knows we got to see Adam Driver's well, face. Yeah. And Adam Driver, who I think is a brilliant actor, I loved seeing him not be a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so he totally worked for me. And I am okay with the, the death scene with – because he even says – you know, Vader would never say, oh, I don't really know if I can do this. Maybe you could help me. But when he says that line, uh, I don't, and this, again, I think is part of telegraphing it, but it's an important part of the character. When he says, I don't have the strength to do this, I don't know if I have the strength to do this. Uh, yeah. That's kind of he's – he's a more uncertain villain. It's almost like you know, he's not fully formed yet, and that's part of what I really like. Oh, I thought he was just playing him when he said that. Well, no, he's not because there's that brilliant moment where he's sitting there praying to Darth Vader. Yeah. He's praying. He's saying, and, and the way he's praying, and this is where the, where I love the transition, where you imagine good has won at the end of Return of the Jedi. Well, that misses the point. There has to be balance. Well, now the force is out of balance at the end of Return of the Jedi, and this is where we end up here. And he's, 
he's having this crisis of faith in the dark side and you don't he's 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 afraid of wanting to go to the light side you don't see that you don't see that in any other than movies yeah it is kind of a new dynamic yeah you don't think of the light side as being the one that tempts somebody or somebody has to move away from yeah he's being tempted to go to the light side and he's praying to the burned mask of his grandfather because the way I saw saw that was almost (laughs) this uh, it it again gets to this idea that he's not this menacing figure like Darth Vader he's kind of like a petulant kid it was almost like like looking at your grandfather and saying I wish you were my dad like it's kind of like exactly wanting to skip Uh, this generation and how your grandparents were just you wish they'd raised you because your dad's a jerk (laughs) (laughs) and where it really pays off having Adam having Adam Driver in that role Um, and what's weird is is that when when she makes the quip about uh, you know him having a mask on and he takes it off, some kid behind me in a couple rows whispered. I heard this kid whisper to whoever this kid was with. He doesn't look like Han Solo or Leia. <laughs> I don't disagree. He has a uh, sort of a Harrison Ford nose kind of thing. Doesn't yeah, he, he? Does. Well, he does. Does he? Yeah, but, I think so. Uh, but where it really pays off, and this is one of those moments in the year that I that I often label as my best miscellaneous thing kind of a thing, is that scene between Ray and um, Ren, uh, where it's it's there's no words, it's just them yeah, contending true. mentally, and and you, you see mean the torture act- scene. It, it's the torture scene, but it's yeah. him trying to read her mind. It's him trying to draw that out of her yeah. mind. Yeah. And you see the contention, and there's no words. It's 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 a distribution of fear and power and anger and power and fear. It just goes back and forth, and you see the two actors go through it. It's a masterpiece of editing and of this great – these two actors who know what the hell they're doing being able to do this without words. And it's not melodramatic. It's not weird. It's just – you, you can read it. You can read everything that's going on in the scene as she contends with him. You know what I it is, Dingus? I don't – maybe this is just me, but I, I thought it was a little erotic. Like it was kind of oh, like yeah, two, yeah. two people having angry sex almost. Yeah. I loved that sequence. Um, mm-hmm. So right, I like it you know, now. It's, it's, a, it's juxtaposed with, with him <laughs> having been – uh, with Poe earlier on, and Poe's just like being glib, and then he pulls, right. and then he finally pulls everything out of Poe's mind. Um, but in this scene, he can't, and he he becomes afraid, and and she says, "You're never going to be Darth Vader." So Kelly, here's where uh, you and me can maybe team up against Dingus because he might defend this. Uh, <laughs> it sucks to be the five percent. It's so lonely. Well, let me come over here. So here's one of my another one of my big problems. Uh, actually, the, so the 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 Chasm death being telegraphed wasn't a big problem. I mean, I didn't like the robot. Did you like him? What F one F four? That's what I think he should have been called. Oh, that's a good idea. Get it? Uh, <laughs> here's my like. I kind of feel like it's a little. Why does he lose the fight against Ray so quickly? Like it's like yeah, she I just know. gets so like force imbued that he suddenly like he can do telekinesis and stop laser bolts and he can freeze her. Yeah. Why does he lose a sword fight to her? Why do I want to see a rematch when she's already kicked his ass once? Like, I don't know. Like, Luke had never tried Vader, and then his first time against Vader, he gets pounded. Yeah. And, and, and actually is going to kill himself rather than join Vader. Like, it, it he's going to die. But in this, it's like the cliff just shows up right then. That I'm okay with, but the the fight that he's losing, like he knows magic spells. Why doesn't yeah. he use that stuff? So Dingus, can you help me out with that? What is it? Just a plot contrivance? 
Is it the the other battles suck too? I didn't like how fast and rushed the Death Star battle. Actually, was. hold that, hold that. So, do you have do you have Dingus? Do you have any theories here? Because I just now hit on one. But go ahead, Dingus. Do you have any theories for what was going on there? Well, certainly in just juxtaposition against what Kelly just said, Vader's actually impressed and proud of his son during that battle. You know, he says all too easy, and then he realizes, oh my gosh, this guy's really. And, and so he's he's True. he's given more strength by being proud of his son and the possibility of what his son yeah. is going to do. Whereas Ren is feeling fear and he's already insecure. He's already afraid of the light side. And when he tries to turn her and he says, like, you know, I can teach you about the ways of the force. And she says, Oh, the force. It, this is just something that has been an amorphous part of my being, but I can actually turn this to use it. Um, he becomes afraid and his it's, it's fear instead of hatred. Because he doesn't hate her. He actually goes beyond that to let me try to teach you. Let me try to take you over to the dark side, which is something that I don't even fully believe in. He's he's uncertain. He's afraid. He's fearful. And so her her becoming is making him more afraid. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Okay, I'm gonna, I, I have a different theory because I don't, I don't get the sense that he's afraid. He just suddenly starts losing. Here's what happens in that moment according to my theory that I just now came up with. Ready? What happens in that moment? The Force awakens. Oh. But not inside him. It's the titular moment. No, in her. It's about her. Like yeah, force- we see it happen. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah that's, what, that's what happens when she goes, oh, the Force, and she closes her eyes. Yeah. All right. I'm but okay. it just looks a little like anger. But I think that makes him afraid. I think that he's afraid of that. Dingus, help me out with something else then. Why are we supposed to believe up until now, <laughs> all these many years, that Han Solo never wanted to use Chewbacca's bowcaster? That he's yeah, just I, now I, seeing, uh, hey, this is cool. Ugh. I hated that. Yeah, that is totally goofy. But I, but what I lo- love about what? it is that the bowcaster is suddenly otherworldly powerful. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. It didn't seem to do that stuff in the previous movies. Yeah. So, so. Kelly, one, you know what I thought of is uh, that awful – it's not awful. It's kind of hilarious. In uh, RoboCop, when the bad guys are getting all their weapons and one of them tries a big old bazooka and goes, I like it. Yeah. It, it was kind of like Harrison Ford <laughs> yeah. doing that with the bowcaster. Uh, so I, It reminded I, me of in Deadpool when Dirty Harry had a kung fu – partner and the guy used kung fu and then dirty harry went oh i guess i do like the asian partner there's a dirty harry movie called deadpool yeah jim carrey's in it as axel rose because the idea is that that there's this uh you know we're betting on who's going to die next Mm, so you guys need to brush up on your marvel heroes that's deadpool is not a dirty harry thing but Uh, i i do want to i do want to say that i love that the way the weapons sound, the way the ships sound, yeah. the way the punch, it, this is much more concussive sounding than any other Star Wars movie. I, I love that. The, the way the dogfights work, especially on Maz's planet when they're flying in low and they're <laughs> so blowing awesome. things up. It's just, it's, you can feel it. It, I don't know if that's a, a, a difference in the way modern sound technology works. Cause I think I said something similar about of tomorrow and even about oblivion in one of the the ship in the in this the, the ship chase where he says are you okay and she says no uh it, you feel it much more even the the lightsabers hitting each other they feel it just the word i kept thinking was concussive so that bowcaster stuff worked okay for me even though i think you're right it is pretty campy 
Well, uh, let me add to that, Dingus, and say, and this is something I did not expect. Uh, I love the extra music for this, the John yeah. Williams. Some of his finest work. I mean, he still has it in him. That's amazing. The uh, specifically, uh, there's a, a there's a little uh, sort of mischievous tone that plays this Ray's theme. It's like I don't know if it's woodwinds mm. or whatever, but this super light little. It's like something from a French symphony or that Debussy would do or something. But it's. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very it's it's her little moment. It's her little tone and super catchy. Uh, the bit when the resistance is getting together and when the 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 X wings come in and save them, uh, just really stirring music. I mean, this is like the level of stuff he was doing for Jaws and Star Wars. I loved the music in this. The music for this is phenomenal. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Tom. And uh, and uh, the thing is, um, my kid was at uh, he he's been doing a Dungeons and Dragons thing. Um, and the the guy who runs it is the father of one of his friends, and he usually plays like Lord of the Rings music or whatever. But he decided to do <laughs> this music for the final the final thing that they did the final part of their instance tonight because he loves the music so much. Now another guy that I went to this dinner party because it was the end of their thing, uh, the end of their D and D thing, uh, and another guy said, "Boy, I was really disappointed in the music." Because it didn't have a really overwhelming villain theme like the Imperial March. And um, I, I was kind of confused by that because I thought the music for this had such different um, themes, like you're saying, Tom, that I don't expect from John Williams given the latest scores that we've heard from him. It, it feels like it's more subtle. It feels like it has a lot more dark undertones, but laced in with the things that you're talking about with Ray's theme. I thought the music for this was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, I want to have another question for you. Huh? Why? Uh, good writing, bad writing? I don't have good writing, bad writing, because I thought it was all good writing. I mean, I seriously, yeah, other, than, other than uh, like the, the, the moment being telegraphed and hand with the bowcaster, like some goofy things like that, like uh, everything, maybe this, like I could give you guys a good writing, bad writing, but everything would be good writing. Hmm. You know, who talks first? You talk first. That was good. <laughs> uh, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Women always find out the truth. That was good. Don't do that. Do what? Anything. That was good. Uh, you changed your hair. Same jacket. Like, I, those were just, just um, um, awesome. Uh... I mean, J.J. Abrams knows what he's doing. Um, you know, this is the guy that made a Mission Impossible movie character-centric. Right. <laughs> uh, like where the dialogue is more exciting than, than any action sequence because he gave Philip Seymour Hoffman cool stuff to do. Um, hmm. Well, also, Good you know, it's, it's Lawrence Kasdan, too. Like, I, I wonder how much – I don't know how scripts work, but I, I, I can't help but think that Lauren Kasdan's name being on this has got to mean something. It can't just yeah. be – it can't just be a, a – Who's the other guy? Michael Arndt, who Dingus loves his work in Little Miss Sunshine. All right, <laughs> but he's done other stuff. I forget. Like he, isn't he Oblivion also, Dingus? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I I think it's all good writing, fantastic writing in this. Right. Um, oh, here's a, here's one that I really liked. Uh, the line where where she does go out to get uh, to get BB-8 from that guy who's going to break him up for parts, and, and she says to him... By the way, I uh, love the look of that thing. Like, there were so many, like, little cool... Yeah. There were familiar yeah. things, but really cool new things, and that weird, like, thing riding that weird big-headed horse with a net, that thing looks awesome. Yeah, it's it kind of dingus, like, like in the original Star Wars, when you just see the, the stormtrooper... Is the lizard called a do-back? Yeah. Yeah. 
you, you, like the do bag is just like in one shot, and you're like, oh wow, that's cool. He's riding on a giant iguana. So I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I just loved whatever that was that was trying to net carry BB-8 off. In what it. about a crate dragon? What so. is a crate dragon? That's the skeleton on Tattoo. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And right. Kenobi makes the cry like it. Ah, very good, but we don't see one, so. Well, right, the so Tusken Raiders see him coming and go, oh, that's a dragon coming. Right, but we don't know what one looks like. We do know what I guess they don't either. a do-back looks like, yeah. and we know what whatever that thing was that was going to cart BB-8 off for parts, what he looked like. Sandcrawlers. Sandcrawlers, yeah, exactly. So, Dingus, I cut you off. I'm sorry. You were going to say something about the moment where EB-8 uh, is getting dragged away. Yeah. Uh, I just like that her line is, he has no respect for anyone. <laughs> He's going to sell you off for parts. He has no respect for anyone. Well, and I started to wonder if there is, if there's a, a group of folks in this universe or this galaxy who look at droids as beings. Well, absolutely, thing is because droids are people too, and there's this whole, you know, n- we don't allow their kind in here in the cantina. Right. Like, I really think this is a universe where, where droids are, are secondhand, fifthhand citizens, basically. Right. Uh, and she, being a fifthhand citizen herself, a, a scavenger, she sort of has a, a different regard for them than that guy who is the equivalent of a slaver with the word slavery. Luke right. offers C three PO and R two D two to Jabba the Hutt. Even though maybe he's bullshit. No, they're his, they're his accomplices in getting out. Stop it. Oh, by the way, that production design on Jakku, which I can't stand any of these planet names, but Jakku. What's wrong with Jakku? I was down with Jakku. What are the other planet names? I don't remember. But Jakku just sounds like a silly name. Every well, time somebody says, you're going to go back to Jakku? Dagobah? Go back to Jakku. Celeste? Yeah, I don't like Celeste. Weird. Yeah, I, cool. I just love the production yeah. design of these huge star destroyers buried in the sand. I was yeah, that's good. I like the beginning. Good. I just, but I was exhilarated from this by this movie from the beginning, yeah, the and, Fighters. and it made me cry several times. And part of that of what Tom was talking about, as far as gratitude is concerned, is like Jesus, you've salvaged this thing. Yeah. And, and part of it is just the things that are going on between the characters that were so emotional for me. I was it was weirdly it was a weirdly emotional experience for me. Well, it really was. I mean, for for me, I mean, the, my feeling, Dingus, was yeah, this is the stuff I loved as a child. Thank you for making me love it again. Uh, and that's a very emotional thing to experience. Yeah, uh, Dingus. Here's my problem with that wreckage bit. Everybody knows that's not how an at at falls over. <laughs> There's one laying on its side. Like, there's a great image, but everybody knows they fall with their butts in the air. Like, yeah, that's so in, in, unaccurate. They also spoon. <laughs> uh, here's what I didn't mind Jakku, but I did, did saying the words uh, Death Star, like, we're, we're so used to that Star now. Killer. Yeah, oh. well, Star Killer ever sound as natural as Death Star. It doesn't have the same ring to it. I don't that's know. an inside joke, though, because that was Luke yeah. Skywalker's original name. That was the original name of the script. All right. Well, yeah. I don't know that it's ever going to have the same ring as Death Star, but I, like I did love that it had its own environment inside of it. Yeah. With this, how are you going to turn a Death Star? They already did a Death Star turned up to eleven, so now they make it a planet. You know, that is right. a moon, by the Next way. Next time it'll be a star, an actual star. Oh. Well, East stars. So yeah, stars Death are galaxy. basically its fuel tank. Um, yeah. yeah. And I loved too the concept. I, I kind of wish they played with it more. They did enough. Uh, the concept that by the time that the, it's eaten the star and it's dark, that's when it's going to fire. Like, Remember when it was too big? A uh, Death Star was too big to be a moon. <laughs> Even though I thought it was too planet size. Oh, is Wait, that what? why he says that's no moon? I think yeah. he says it because he sees like it's got. 
He goes, that can't be a moon, it's too big. And then they're all, wait, what? Is, can you, can you he says that's no moon because he senses it, that it is not a moon. Yeah, I don't think it's the size. No, Han Solo goes, it can't be a moon that's too big or something. Dingus, is he right? No, it's, 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 uh, it's Guinness who says that's no moon, isn't it? Right, right, yeah, and then Han Solo doubts him. No, wait. Kelly Wan, you should defer to Dingus because I got into it with Dingus. Dingus said Star something. About, yeah, so Dingus said something about Han Solo saying it's not like crop dusting, boy. And I was like, Dingus, he never says that. First of all, if there's no crops on Tatooine, so they're not going to have crop dusting. How would he know what that is? <laughs> You're wrong. It's all dust already. Right, exactly, right. Is it literally putting dust? That's how good Luke is at crop dusting. He's dusted the whole planet. Well, but at any rate, Dingus <laughs> stuck to his guns, and it turns out he was right. There, that is a line in the original Star Wars that I didn't, I couldn't believe they actually talk about crop dusting. Because says there'll be hell to pay, Tom. Oh, that's, so they have hell in the unit. Wow. Yeah. Oh well, I'll see you in hell too. Like that's yeah the the whole seventh marker or whatever bit. Yeah. Uh, fifth marker. Fifth marker. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that moment, 14 parsecs moment was one of the great moments in this movie. So one of my concerns was going to be uh, – and this is this is too, like J.J. Abrams reiterating certain story beats and all of that I was fine with. I was a little worried that we were going to get a bunch of uh, like little inside jokes and nudge, nudge, wink, winks. But – where I saw that he was resisting it, and I really started to trust him. Um, I was so worried that uh, Poe was going to say to Finn, that's great, kid, don't get cocky. I was right. so worried. I was like, oh, God, please don't be cheesy stuff like that. So when Harrison Ford says, I got a bad feeling about this, that's okay because that's his catchphrase uh, or whatever. That's everybody's. That's the movie's. Right, exactly. But, but there wasn't going to be – they weren't going to have Poe Dameron saying – it was clearly that moment – of Luke Skywalker doing the turret in the Millennium Falcon and Harrison Ford saying, don't get cocky, kid. That was the moment with Poe Dameron and Finn, but they didn't need to reinforce it by having to say the same line. I care. You should have said that one. Yeah. So I was glad we didn't see that. Mm. Uh, Kelly Wand, is a thermal oscillator a real thing? Like, how would you feel about the... uh... When it's on Daisy Ridley. We've got so much more. For, for unders, though, real quick. Alright. I don't so know. First, because you seemed a little underwhelmed. What were your. How would you bracket this, and what, what's a movie that you liked more than Force Awakens, and a movie you liked less? I liked the movie Star Wars more. Okay. That's my over. And then my under Star Trek Into Darkness. Because. Felt that was a lesser Abrams, and this is a this is a much better Abrams. Thing. So I yeah I can't yeah okay good. And and uh, Star Trek Darkness didn't feel like a Star Trek movie, which isn't something I really give a shit about anyway. But it definitely felt like a jarring like wait what? But not in a fun way like Ang Lee Hall, but just like he doesn't really want to make a movie kind of way. Well, as this was obviously a labor of love, like I definitely he, yeah he's I don't like understand. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I like have no dog in the whole Star Trek hunt, so I don't really know, I don't know how people must feel about that. But uh, and I guess so my, so. my under is I'm not sure. I'm going to float two. I'm going to pick as my under Star Wars because I really do think this is better than Star Wars. The Star Wars is great, but I just I just mm-hmm. like this more than Star Wars. I might even put this above Empire Strikes Back. 
What? I know. Empire Strikes Back is awesome, but... Both of those are crazy. Well, this is just such a, you know, a Star Wars for a new generation and a Star Wars for older guys like me who just want to kind of recapture the magic of it. But Empire Strikes Back is great, and I love the production design. There's so many cool things about it, and the tone of it is awesome. But just as an experience, it was just so cool to get carried away by a Star Wars again. So I might put this over Empire Strikes Back. Oh, my God. But for the for the just for the record, I'm right now only putting it over Star Wars because I know I like it better in Star Wars. I'm gonna put it under. I was I was gonna do the, this stupid little uh, Mad Max Fury Road thing where I was like, I don't have an over. Uh, but my over for Star Wars Force Awakens is Mad Max Fury Road because <laughs> I I just lo- like that that for me it was the same kind of thing. It was something that meant a, it was a, it was a director taking something that meant a lot to me as a kid. And not only not screwing it up, but doing amazing things with it. One of the things I really like about Fury Road that doesn't really happen so much in Force Awakens, Fury Road felt completely new. And it did this crazy stuff I'd never seen before. Uh, so I just love the wackiness and the over-the-topness of and, and just how it felt completely fresh and new. You also uh, went into both of them with really low expectations, and they wound up exactly right. Because I, I was like, "Yeah, how could you possibly live yeah. up to this stuff that was that big of a fixture of my childhood?" Yeah. So my over Fury Road, my under is Star Wars, and maybe even Empire Strikes Back. Jesus, Dingus, what are your over and under? All right, I went over and under with uh, sequels that are better than the original movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so for my under, I would say that uh, Star Trek Wrath of Khan uh, would be just a little under this. You actually. love that movie. Whoa. Yeah. I do love it. I think it's much better than the motion picture. Uh, and it's also a, 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 it's a property that's based on a whole bunch of preceding things uh, that was then resurrected into a movie. And then I think that the sequel, uh, that particular sequel, Wrath of Khan, is much better than the first one. Um, and I think that this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is is the I'm not even going to equivocate. It's I, it's the best Star Wars movie. Period. So see, Kelly Wand, it's not crazy for me to say it's better than Empire Strikes Back. <sighs> Dingus agrees. Craziness with that. is infectious. I love Empire <laughs> Strikes like the Back. Dark side. I've yeah, never, explain, Dingus, never explain yourself. How can this be better than a masterpiece like Empire Strikes Back? Uh, I think the acting is incredibly uh better than that uh, although it's really good i mean who can dispute irving kirshner as a director of actors um are you being facetious no because i don't know what else the hell the guy has done yeah i don't either. vader's so killer and fucking empire he's so great Tell so me what, how do you great. feel about that moment in empire where uh leia kisses luke and he does that thing where he puts his hand Lock behind it up, his head. Fuzzball. I no, love not it. that. Where Luke is just like, yeah, you know, he leans back and puts his hand behind his head, like, oh, I'm Mr. Hot. Yeah, now. and then Chewbacca cackles yeah. the Han. And right out, right out of Three's up. Company, that moment. Yep. It's awesome, <laughs> and it also has "I love you, I know," which is the greatest Star Wars exchange and greatest exchange. And it was Harrison Ford's writing. <laughs> I don't buy that for a second, by the way. What? It's that's a famous story, bro. I, well, a lot of apocryphal stories are famous. I know. Why would he? He would lie about that. I mean, one acting moment in this movie, uh, in the movie Empire, that's better than anything Daisy Ridley does. In I love you, I Force know. Awakens. That's definitely better. The carbonite sculpture. That's just goofy. That's just goofy stuff. The lightsaber duel's better. All right, fine. It's not. So, Dingus, you're, you're it, under. It, the light lightsaber duel might. 
as and well as Luke going up against a mannequin. I mean, it's horrible. Come on. So, Dingus, you're saying you're, uh, you're saying your under is uh, is is Empire Strikes Back? No, the under is Wrath of Khan stuff. Oh, Wrath of Khan, right, 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 right. And your uh, over, the over, uh, slightly over. I don't think I'm not going to say it's a better movie. I'm just I have to choose something for an over because I'm not going to do. There's nothing over, but I'm going to choose The Dark Knight because uh, I love that as a, a sequel in a kind of a, a reboot of a franchise that has a bunch of stuff that came before it, some of which has a different tone, some of which doesn't. Um, the Dark Knight is so well done, has such a great villain, um, that I that I would kind of put that over this just for those reasons. Kelly Wan, did you hear how you preceded that with saying there is nothing over it? Did you hear that, Kelly Wan? I was I'm I caught it. thinking about him saying the Empire Strikes Back lightsaber duel is is – is uh, horrible. It's not horrible, but it doesn't have the cho- fight choreography that this movie has in any way. Oh. Watch, watch Luke and Darth. <laughs> watch, watch them. There's other stuff they going on though. Around. All right. Well, you know what? Speaking of fight choreography, let's talk about action heroes for this week's three by three. So, uh, this is inspired you'll, – you'll hear from my number three choice by a movie I saw that had a terrible action hero, and I just wanted to hear from you guys about who are some terrible action heroes. Uh, and specifically, I wanted to hear a, hopefully a funny example of what makes that man or woman a terrible action hero. I adore uh, this topic. Good, good. I'm glad. I don't understand this topic. I didn't know if we were supposed to choose a terrible movie or if we're cho- supposed to choose – I know we're supposed to choose a scene that uh, – embodies this, but huh? I, I could not get my head around this topic. Got to be creative. Well, let's see what you came up with, Dingus, because you are introducing next week's 3x3, three three, so you go first. What is your number three, whatever you did with this topic, bad action hero? All right. Uh, my number three is from the movie San Andreas. Uh, you've already done it wrong, I can tell, because I know where you're going. And it's when The Rock can't break a window to save his daughter before she drowns. I mean, this is a terrible action hero. He he finally figures out how to get her out of that silly window thing <laughs> after she dies, when he could have done it well before she dies, instead of having a silly scene where they have a, a monologue together while she's drowning. So that's uh, number three is San Andreas. He's done a lot in that movie before that part. Yeah, so Dingus, you're picking, you're you're pinning on poor Dwayne Johnson one crappy little bit of the movie. I feel that bad makes for him. A bad people. action hero. You asked me to. No, 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 I can't. I'm not disputing. I'm not pulling you over or anything. I'm just First Darth Vader's a terrible lightsaber duelist. <laughs> he is. Look at him. Watch him fighting Ben. Uh, ben has excuse to, me. He's you know undefeated. He, you know how right? he defeats Ben? Ben goes, hey, let me put my lightsaber at the sky. Okay, that's how I'm going to defeat me. Because he knew it was hopeless. Grab. Vader's so fucking awesome. By the way, uh, count, there was... Count Dooku. <laughs> There was a trailer. I didn't watch it for the new like Marvel Civil War movie. You didn't watch it? No, no, because I want to see it. But nah. so Captain America fights Iron Man, right? Yeah, it's Bat- their Batman versus Superman. Yeah, exactly. he's fighting everybody. That's exactly, Batman fighting Superman. These are these are terrible matchups because I, I, yeah. I have no, there's no tension about who's going to win. Iron Man would kick Captain America's ass, just like Superman. He's invulnerable. Batman doesn't stand a chance against Superman. These movies. It's like saying who would win a battle between a shark and a very determined chicken. Like, you know, that's not exciting. Well, I say barracuda versus chicken. Everyone goes, huh? What? Yeah, like, you might as well make a movie. Who'd win in a battle between Jane, Dwayne Johnson, Jane, Jane Johnson, Dwayne yeah. Johnson, and DJ Qualls? Who would win that dingus? <laughs> what? DJ Qualls because he'd pull off his pants and run around. 
Well, Dingus, that means that uh, this Civil War movie and this Batman versus Superman thing, these are for you then. You know what I hate is that all the any movie with the verses in the title is always a crock of shit. Like it's never an actual fight. Like Freddy Kramer versus Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. Wow. Give that one a shot. Good. Actual fight going on in that one. Vampire versus Rebels. Oh shit. All right, so uh, Dingus has chosen Dwayne Johnson, and I'm wondering if he's going to go down. The, uh, we might get three Dwayne Johnsons out of Dingus, Kelly Wand. We'll find wow. out. Wow, that's a hat trick. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your third, third worst action hero? My number three worst action hero is Han Solo. I'd like to present my case. <laughs> wow. In what <clears throat> movie? All of them. You have to choose a scene, so you have to choose a movie. Tom. Let me just let me do my thing and then right, Tom take your thing. Go ahead. Pull right. over. Let Go me ahead. speed first and then pull me over. Yeah, just I'm on your tail. Like I'm on your tail. All right. I slip on the I'm I'm a I'm uh I'm a vigilante, but we're on the same team. I'll be the judge of that, Kelly Wand. On Solo, he's a deadbeat who does shoddy work for gangsters and rips them off. And he leaves a penny tip for a waitress to clean up Greedo's body. Keeps Luke's land speeder money for taking them to Alderaan, even though he doesn't get them there. He gets them captured. He, fails he does to too get them there. No, he doesn't. He gets them to where it was. Uh, not that's. He Tom, gets he's to not the money for that. Team. How can you he not pull him captured, over? Captured because he's like, "That's no moon, duh." <laughs> so they get captured by the Death Star because of him and his foolhardiness. He fails to fool the boring conversation company anyway, guys. That's <laughs> the thing. He nearly kills them all shooting lasers in the trash compactor. He keeps the reward <laughs> money from the already broke rebels for rescuing Leah. He keeps all that. He gets a medal for blowing up the Death Star, even though all he did was show up late and not shoot Vader's ship, even though he had the drop on him. Still doesn't pay Jabba off, even though now he can afford it. Fails to get Leah to a rescue ship on Hoth. Swears Cloud City will be fine. Gets everybody captured there. Gets Leah captured and the entire rebellion exposed by stepping on the twig on Endor. And in Leah, we now find out, with an obnoxious... So he's out for 98. I can't pull right. over, Dingus, because that was just so entertaining. I just... <laughs> it's nice and entertaining, but he shouldn't have said that it's last thing. Stick Maybe to my people would want to listen to three by three without getting spoilers from the movie we just did. I'm pretty sure yeah, everybody's seen the movie. The podcast. Podcast. All, right. All right, Kelly, Wan. Kelly, Wan, I'm letting you go with this one. Let's just we'll see how the other two go. But so far, you know, carry I, on. A lightsaber to destroy. Right, so there's no rules here. I understand now. Chris. All right, Mr. San Andreas. Well, I mean, yeah, I think he's doing the whole thing that we talked about, which partly spawned this. Where, where Dana Gould has this great bit about Indiana yeah. Jones and he's how he accomplishes. Doing, he's just retreading that. Fine. And that's fine. I mean, that just means a bad action hero. And I just wanted – the reason I said tell me a scene is because I, I wanted to hear funny stuff about why you thought this guy was a bad action hero. So what so, I did was worse than Diggis's choice. That's the, no, no. I enjoyed your choice. Well, no, I enjoyed Diggis's better. choice because that was a silly moment. I, I know what he's talking about in San Andreas where the Stop rock can get through an earthquake-riddled San Francisco, but oh, a piece of glass. Sorry. Alexander Look, it's Star Wars night. I'm doing. I'm in my tuxedo for Star Wars. Well, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. So, uh, but there are rules. That I, 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 it has to be entertaining. So Kelly Wan, just keep it up. All if right. you're going to do it wrong, make it entertaining. I try. Um, I don't always succeed. Uh, so here, here's what I did with this. My number three choice is uh, of a bad action hero is what inspired this. Uh, and you have to look at like what does it take to make an action hero? Like a bad action hero. A good action hero, basically, there, there has to be a degree of physicality to it, generally. Um, ideally, maybe some charm. An action hero should be attractive. Uh, 
But there are different approaches to it. Um, some action heroes are unlikely. Uh, but then some people who are action heroes are, are just terrible. They're way too full of themselves. They take it way too seriously. Uh, and where I first found out an incredible – I first saw this guy is terrible as an action hero. What are they thinking? This would be a fun topic. If you go to Netflix and you look up a movie called Misfire, aptly named, by the way, it's a vehicle for – the guy's got to be a former weightlifter or something, a guy named Gary Daniels. I don't know him from Adam. Uh, he obviously thinks he's very handsome. He's fit, sure, whatever. Uh, Misfire is an action movie where I think he's like a DEA agent who's uh, like a rogue agent. He's tracking down a drug lord, uh, whatever. Early on in the movie, and you only have to watch about five minutes of Misfire, not even that. This is like four minutes into the movie. He's chasing a dude, and in the chase scene, the dude does that thing where when you're running away from somebody, you knock over a bunch of things behind you (laughs) to slow down the guy. So the guy running away, he knocks over some fruit crates, mm. and it's only about three of them. And you know the size of a fruit crate. It's healthy choice, though. It's uh, well, the thing is, they're just they're little wooden fruit crates, and they break apart. And it's not like fruit rolls ev- everywhere. It's just like these little boxes. They're no higher than a box that you would put. Uh, I don't know anything. You know, cardboard box. So the the guy running away pulls over the fruit crates. Here comes G- Gary Daniels to the fruit crates. And he does a tactical roll over him. Like he, he throws himself head first and does a tumble because there's a fruit crate that's like a foot high in front of him. And it, that's I could sort hardcore. of. It, I, I don't know if it was Palestine. But you could imagine this guy, Gary Daniels, saying, okay, I'm going to do a roll here. And, and tactical rolls, I think, are, I don't even understand the idea of a tactical roll. Like, why would you tumble like that and then just get where you're going more quickly? So just run? Yeah, just place. run. Just tell yourself. Well, you can't slide. You can't get into like a car, like you, when you slide over the hood into the car. Do you that like looks that? cool, though. I don't think tactical rolls look that cool. They look oh. silly. They look really showy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, cars I, are cooler than cardboard boxes. Well, to get <laughs> over a car, away. like that's a cool move. is sliding over the hood because you don't right. you don't go around it. You don't jump on it. And Unless just you're the passenger, then you got to go back around, like walk all the way back. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't, passengers have all sorts of options for getting out of a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys remember there's a, a video? This was like, I think last summer, um, there was a video from a cop at Texas who was just this imperious yeah. little fellow. Uh, as yelling. soon as you said that, that is immediately what I thought about. Because that opens with him doing a tactical role. So this is in McKinney, Texas. Some black kids were at a neighborhood <laughs> swimming pool, and there were complaints. And these cops came out to see what was going on. And one of them got totally out of hand. Pulled his gun on some kids, held some poor like fourteen year old girl in a bikini like down on her face in the grass, uh, and it was all videotaped. So the guy got in trouble rightfully. But the video opens with him running, and it looks to me like he is tripped, and he's trying to make it look like a tactical roll, like like it's sort of like an I meant to do that thing. Is he trying to do a cannonball into the pool? But it also looks like a corner of grass, like in a little median. Like he's like, oh, I've got a corner of grass. I can do right. a roll here. Exactly right, right. It's a, it's a non-concrete surface. Let me uh, let me do something cool. But grass marks. So poor Gary Daniels. Within the first five minutes of this Netflix, this thing on Netflix called Misfire. It's an excellent tactical roll. But boy, is, is it silly? Yeah, it just. Uh... So what if the boxes had been higher, though. Well, that's the thing. If the boxes had been higher, it wouldn't have looked so ridiculous. Like really, 
the boxes, you would step over them. You wouldn't do a tactical roll to get over the boxes. He's horizontally climbing them. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me think of the scene in Dark Star where John Carpenter just had people lie on the floor to make yeah. it look like they were hanging from an abyss. Yeah. Horizontal climbing. Yeah, that's, Wait, that part was that's the new workout craze created by Kelly Wan, horizontal climbing. Uh, I can only do it for a minute. Dingus, give us your number two uh, favorite bad action hero. Okay, so, uh, so I totally did this wrong because you're just you're using to just be choosing bad action movies. I seen no, no, no. I'll get we'll get we'll get more serious in a minute. All right, because I because I chose uh, things that I re- uh, that I tend to like and people that I tend to like, but scenes. I I, I guess I keyed on the word. Give me a scene. Um, so I, I'm giving you a scene where this. Otherwise, good action hero. This makes them a bad action hero. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I have to I have to rescind my objection to what Kelly said about uh, you know Kelly's uh, medley of Han Solo stuff because mm-hmm. um, I think I misunderstood the topic. Um, so for my number two, it's uh, from the movie Spectre. That's uh, mm-hmm. uh, a James Bond movie. I'm already liking this dingus. Go on. And um, I think that the opening sequence where James Bond decides to kill the helicopter pilot. <laughs> Makes them a terrible action hero. No, Dingus, this is exactly right. Like, why would you think that's doing the, the thing wrong? That's a, we yeah. talked about that. This is an he's awesome an example of a bad action hero. Because otherwise, he's a pretty good action hero in Skyfall and whatnot. But that inspector deciding to kill the helicopter pilot when you could just get the guy to land, and then having to go on the ridiculous. Uh, I'm going to climb into the front and treat a helicopter like it's a World War II plane. You know, that I can do barrel rolls in. Um, but that moment where he kills the helicopter pilot and has the general fight in the helicopter instead of just telling the guy to land. Well, he's furthermore, trying to get over the cardboard box. <laughs> furthermore, Dingus, he's doing this over a huge crowd of, I guess they're Mardi Gras celebrators. I mean, this, is, this isn't a helicopter that's going to crash in the ocean. It's going to crash and kill so the crowd underneath him. Right. Uh, all the more irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. Dingus, that's, I, a, that's a terrible thing because he, he's not even going to save himself. Yep, that's a fine choice, Dingus. See? Right. Kelly Wan, what do you have for your number two worst action hero? My number two is James Bond in Casino Royale when uh, he, he gets poisoned and then the girl asks to save him and then he loses all the money. What, what's terrible about that? That happens to, to action heroes sometimes. Uh, you, think, you, think that, you think having to get saved by a girl makes you a, a bad action hero? Well, then he loses her too, and he gets then he loses all the money to her. <laughs> so, I, I have to I have to admit I, I remember Skyfall is one of the few James Bond movies where I actually remember plot points. Like I think of uh, Casino Royale, and I think Mads Mikkelsen crying blood, James Bond getting his testicles whacked, yeah, uh, and Eva, that's, Eva that's Green. No unit that doesn't make him good either. <laughs> he drinks the wrong drink, right? Right. Oh, are you serious? It's poisoned. That's how he gets poisoned is because yeah. like he drinks the wrong drink. Yeah. And then he runs out to his car, which has a, a defibrillator in there. Yeah, and then he oh, No, no, I do remember this. Right. 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 I mean, it's a good scene, but it, I don't think he's a good action hero. <laughs> I don't think James Bond getting poisoned and going to his car and then. Wow, yeah. both of you guys hanging up on poor Daniel Craig's 007. Yeah, and, the, and considered the one that got us back into James Bond. Right. Right. But he also, it's like he falls in love with her. 
And then she dies, and then she steals the money, too, because she needs it to save her husband or something. So it's like he's failed at everything. Doesn't he redeem himself? And think this applies to you, too, uh, from bad action hero status. Just from that shot, I think it's in Casino Royale, isn't he like in a bathing suit at one point, and he just looks like super buff? And isn't I don't there... remember that part, Tom. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember there's a Sean Connery in a bathing suit. Bit. I remember and, Ursula Andress, but you remember what you remember. <laughs> well, I just remember our conception. Of, might want to watch. Our, our conception of what is. That's the thing. It's like Zardoz, he looks like a 70s era porn star in Zardoz. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Kelly's made me think of Sean Connery so many times that I almost changed my topic, or I almost changed one of my choices early on. But I'll He's do that for a runner up. But you do remember, like, they have Sean Connery in a bathing suit, and maybe yeah. back then we thought that was cool, but these days we're just like, dude, you could have done some push-ups or something first. Like, he doesn't. No, it's sexy. Whereas Daniel Craig in a bathing suit, you're like, whoa, he's not just a stuffed shirt. Look at this dude. Okay, Tom. Am I just making this up? Isn't there, like, a cheesecake scene with Daniel Craig? In it's Casino a beefcake for dudes. Exactly, beefcake. Right. Whatever that is in the food world. Um, I think there actually is a beefcake. For me, the the beefcake for him and where I thought he was really amazing yes. looking was was in Skyfall when he's like digging the bullet out of his shoulder and he's looking amazing. His body looks amazing. He's just so sexy. And then during the shaving scene, Shave, right, he's right. just he's just as sexy as Naomi Harris. I thought Lazenby looked as, dreamy as, as a moon buggy chasing. As a dude watching this guy with this chiseled body who's still a little weary. Um, I don't remember this swimsuit thing you're talking about, Tom. Uh, but but that stuff in Skyfall, uh, after he's trying to do the workout, and then he has to dig the thing out of his shoulder. And he, and he just, his arms look amazing. His shoulders look amazing. Yeah. Maybe I'm just imagining that swimsuit. I thought there was a beefcake maybe. shot. And, all right, maybe I just, like, Google. No, I kind of vaguely remember. Okay. Yeah, you're just, probably there. All right. That is... But yeah, it's like the male version of the Ursula Andress bit. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Or the we, moment in, uh, oh God, is it Mission Impossible where she comes out of the pool? Well, I don't remember Tom Cruise being naked, but, but not him. Ferguson in Mission yeah. Impossible, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Daniel Craig doesn't wear any bathing suits in Smecta. But uh, also, the, Rebecca Ferguson, even hotter than that, was her little move yellow sniper dress. rifle on. Yeah, the yellow dress, the sniper rifle resting on her knee and raising her thigh up. Like, that's, that's the last thing I see when I get shot. <laughs> totally interested. Well, okay, so speaking of beefcake, because this is going to segue into my number two. I don't know if you guys ever had this experience as a kid. You know, hold on, I'll t- table that. My pick is actually from The Expendables 3, I think. You saw that? Oh. Oh, I've seen all of them. I've seen all of them. You saw the PG-13 one? We did the the second one, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we didn't second. do the third one. It's PG-13 one, the one where uh, where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis are in the smart car? That's the yeah, second one. Yeah. That's the second one. Yeah. Well, the, is the, okay, so the third – I think this is the third one. The Chuck Norris appearance. That's in the third one, right? That's in the second one. That is it's, in the second one. Maybe I didn't see grandma. Kellen Lutz is the second one, right? No, that's the third one. Okay, so I have seen the third one. And Harrison Ford's the third one, and, and Mel Gibson's the villain in the third one, and I haven't seen it. I just Liam Hensworth's in the second one, right? Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm confusing Liam Hensworth and Kellen Lutz. Maybe I haven't seen the third one. Um, well, but here's the moment I'm talking about. In the second one, they want to pay tribute to Chuck Norris. So they have a scene where they're having a gunfight, and it's really perilous. And, oh, my God, the bad guys are maybe going to win. And suddenly the bad guys like all start falling over, and a tank explodes. It's going to kill them, and they don't know what's happened. They're like, hey, all the bad guys suddenly got shot. It's a six and, and Chuck Norris comes strolling out. 
and they do it even they literally do a Chuck Norris joke about hey yeah, I heard he you does it. No, no, they say to him, uh, I heard you got like well, right? He gives the punchline, but they yeah. say to him, oh, I heard you got uh, bit by a, a cobra, and it was six poisoning, excruciating days. And then Chuck Norris says, yeah, and then after that, the cobra died or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It was a crappy – I mean it, it basically drove home the point Smiles. that the Chuck Norris appearance was literally a joke. Yeah. And I don't get his appeal. So let me back up. Here's what I think Bob Hope martial arts. Here's what I think of when I see Chuck Norris in a movie. And yeah. I was going to go back and watch some Chuck Norris movies, but I got too caught up watching movies for a, my number one pick, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, <laughs> I remember as a kid, and I don't know if you guys remember this, and you might not want to admit it, but every now and then as a kid, you might find a, uh, a trove of like Playboy magazines or something. Mm, yeah. you know, nice and you would be like, whoa, and it would blow your mind as a kid, and you would like – I don't know, hide them in the woods or whatever. And every now and then when you would find them, there would be like a playgirl in there. And you would oh, be no. like, let's crack it, Dad. And you would be like, what's this? And you would look through it and you wouldn't get it. Like, I mean, maybe if. Uh, and, 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 and actually, what <laughs> was I was. I, I well, that's the thing is you find some like discarded porno mags, and sometimes there's a playgirl in there. And, you know, you're an inquisitive. <laughs> like your dad got it by mistake. Well, no, no, not when you're looking at your dad's mustache. Have you never found porn out in the woods, Kelly Warren? Yeah, but I never found a playgirl by mistake. That's the part of it I'm fascinated by. I'm genuinely curious how it Shakespeare quote, have you never found porno in the woods, Kelly Warren? I've never pretty away. Well, I, I've definitely in intros. You find the playgirl and you flip right. through it. You're like, this is doing nothing for me and I don't even get it. Uh, so this is doing nothing. Chuck Norris looks to me like a guy who would be in Playgirl. Yeah. All that I see every time I see him with the beard and the sort of the vaguely sensitive face. That's overselling him. <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, I, that's David like, Hasselhoff like, territory. Yeah. No, well, David, David Hasselhoff. I can understand his appeal. He's cut. I mean, he's a he's a he's a sort of dashing looking fellow, but but Chuck Norris really looks like a guy who who like works at the fish cannery or something, right. but who's moderately good looking. He'd um, be the character in a porno story. I don't think his body would be stapled. Well, I just don't get him as an action star, and I was going to try to watch some Chuck Norris movies, but I there's one, there's two I like. There's Lone Wolf McQuaid with Barbara Carrera. Why do you like it? Like what? Oh, I love it. He's not ridiculous, he, or is that the point? No, he has like a truck in it. Oh, and David Carradine's in it too, is the villain. And I forget his partner's someone that you like. There's someone else you like in it. I know how much you love David Carradine and Chuck Norris and Barbara Schroeder. But also the one I really want you to see is the one with the um, – it's called Silent Rage, and it's about an unkillable man. And the, he, a scientist keeps bringing him back to life. And that's Chuck Norris? No, that's the villain. Chuck oh, Norris. Chuck Norris he fights him. this guy over and over, and the guy keeps undying. What? Is it a horror movie? There's weird, it, there's this really annoying music that plays whenever the guy comes back to life. Like Silent Rage. Okay, you know what? Silent Rage. I'll check it out. The Unkillable Man versus Chuck Norris. All right, but my number two pick is Chuck Norris, and specifically the fact that his appearance in Expendables Two is literally a joke. I just don't get. I, uh, yeah, I don't know what you want from Expendables Two that's so much better. Than okay, that. here. In Expendables 2, Jean-Claude Van Damme is in it, and he's the villain, and when they actually roll him out for a knife fight at the end, you're like, oh, yeah, I see why Jean-Claude Van Damme is a, is a, is a, an action star. Did they roll him over a cardboard box out? <laughs> gotcha. Uh, all right, so Dingus, roll him out? <laughs> Dingus, we are down to your number one pick for a bad action hero. What do you got for us? All right, the 
My number one would be from Alien 3. And, uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. I like what I'm hearing. That is Ripley, because Ripley can't be bothered to come out of cryostasis in order to save Newt or anybody else. I mean, an action hero would be able to will themselves out of cryostasis in order what? to save everybody else. Weak. Dick is being mean. Weak. <laughs> you could have picked anything from Alien Resurrection instead. No, no, Alien Resurrection. Well, she's a cool action hero in Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Like that basketball move, by the way, that's the sort uh, of thing a good action hero Exactly. Does. But the, but the whole – we could have avoided all of Alien 3 if she – bothered, as an action hero would do, to will herself out of cryostasis <laughs> in order to save everybody on that is transport that possible, in order to say, what do you mean is that possible? She's an action yeah. hero. Oh, I see. That's a good point. That's true. So I think she's a terrible action hero because she allows Alien 3 to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, very mean, Ding. It's just way too cool. But, by the way, uh, like Alien Three is very much like an anti-action movie too. Like it's almost an anti-alien movie. It's like David Fincher saying, "Okay, you guys going to do these cool like alien movies? All right, well watch watch what I'm going to do to them." Right, I'm going to do like some. I'm going to do Splinter in a Mind's Eye over here. I don't know what that means, but it's basically like he takes a black crayon and just scribbles over all the other scripts. It's like yeah, it's like an angry little. Well, I love I love I love his black crayon work. I think it's great. I'm a big fan of Alien Three. It's there's a lot to that. What, how that came about? It wasn't all Fincher. What the do you studio mean? was leaning on him. Uh, it was like last second. They did like they, did they have Aaron Sorkin come in and punch up the dialogue? No, or? remember there, there? Maybe Dingus. One of you knows what I'm talking about. Like that script by the guy who wrote it, where it's like the City of Lost it. Children guy and the Wood Planet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Wood Planet. Right, it's right. Dragon. Not only that, it was the whole "On Earth, everyone can hear you scream." Alien Three is not the right. movie I wanted. That was, and it's because so Ripley didn't. Bother, couldn't be bothered to wake up and stop that alien from attacking ah, everybody. So, Dingus, you're not blaming Fox. You're blaming Ridley. Her sure. 23 Fox blame, Studio. Yeah, exactly. You're holding Ridley accountable. Well, fair enough. Okay. Interesting. So, a bad action hero for letting Alien 3 happen. I'm okay with that pick, Dingus. <sighs> wow. Kelly Wan, what's your number one pick for a bad action hero? Okay, I actually need Dingus's backup on this because he's seen the movie and I have, and I have too. But in the Deadpool... Dirty Harry movie, Dingus. Do you remember the part where there's that toy car that's oh, chasing? Oh yeah, yeah. Dirty Harry. What you're talking about? That's the, that's uh, a Dirty Harry movie. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. yeah, and it's like a bomb car, so he has to like avoid it because it's going to blow up his car, and he, it's like it's this, this endless chase throughout San Francisco, and it's like he can't just like go over tire things. Like it's a tiny little toy. Dri- car drive up on the curb. Like, yeah. Get up on the curb. Yeah. And how's the guy seeing where? Or how about just driving? getting out of your car and running away? From yeah, getting out of the car. Right. There's just stairs or anything. And then like he eventually... anytime anybody runs parallel to a car that's going to run over them instead of running perpendicular. It's the least suspenseful sequence ever filmed. Is it played like, oh, seriously shit. though? Yeah. 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 And his partner gets wounded in it because eventually he he tr- he tricks it by driving into a cul-de-sac and then backing up at the last second, like Rambo outrunning an explosion. You're describing that, but I'm not seeing how that would work. Uh, it's, it's like the action, action stuff in Runaway with the, the Tom Selleck movie. Uh, I think of that dingus as a Gene Simmons movie. Yeah, very good. Oh. See, by the way, I thought you meant Tom Cruise. That was... Tom, Tom Selleck, Tom Cruise, very different people, Kelly. One. Also, by the way, speaking of dudes who look like they would be in Playgirl magazine, Tom Selleck. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, here's my number one pick, and I, let's get down to, to this because I I just don't understand this. Cosby. Um, I, I watched several Steven Seagal movies because I I, like do. I don't I don't understand one little bit. Like so, I, I watched no, his most successful movie is Under Siege. Um, he sucks critically, and he's terrible in it. Yeah, he's a piece he of shit. He's so completely. He's like, so full of himself too, for how lame he is. Incredibly full of himself, and way yeah. too cool for school. And specifically. The, the scene I'm going to talk about in Under Siege, which is basically – it's Die Hard. It's, it's yeah. Steven Seagal wanting to do a Die Hard. He's, he's the cook on a, on a boat, Ship. but yeah. he's got – yeah, but he's got like super special, uh, special forces experience. Um, and so terrorists take over the boat led by Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey. Uh, and instead of him having uh, like a wife, a Bonnie Bedelia he's got to look out for, there's a stripper – Who's been flown on to the ship for entertainment for the captain's birthday? <laughs> and they hired a Who is woman. It? They hired a woman named uh, Erica Elaniac. Yeah, her. She's the girl who kissed ET. Erica Elaniac. Yeah, she's the. Kid. She's on Baywatch. She's an ET. Yeah, she kisses Elliot. Oh man, I had no idea. Made up. Yeah. Well, she's a. She's a. At the time, she was like a Playboy model. Like that's. Yeah. That, I think became her claim to fame. Yeah. Um, so great. they hire her to be the chick in Under Siege. Uh, and there's the gratuitous nude scene where she pops out of a cake after the ship has been taken over, and she starts dancing. She doesn't realize the terrorists have taken over, and Steven Seagal is in the room, and he's like, what are you doing? And you see, like, see her topless very briefly. Cool. But then she's tagging along with him. Um, and what's amazing to me – she's awful in it, by the way – but <laughs> she completely outacts him, like in every yeah. single scene. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. So there's one moment – where he's like talking to the Pentagon on the phone, and he's saying, "Hey, there's this, these many people have taken over the boat," uh, and she's she's listening to him, and she says to him, "You're not a cook, are you?" And his response is, "Yeah, well, I also cook," which makes no sense. I mean, he bad is, writing. Bad writing. He is the cook, by the way. He's literally the cook, and 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 Steven Seagal. like he thinks that if he just does it in a monotone or quietly, it'll sound cool. Um, that's like Harrison Ford's going part-time in Crystal Skull. Uh, well, I mean, but you're not a teacher. Seagal makes a career of this because I then right. watched Under Siege 2. Yeah, with Catherine Heigl as the daughter. Oh, my God. That's I couldn't territory. believe that. Yeah. Eric Roberts. Super hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's on a train and, yeah, just also. Slightly too young to really lust for with the clean conscience. Oh, oh, is she? A little bit. I thought okay. In that? Okay, well in that case, but she's she's photographed to be so, so it's okay. Well, she can. Oh, this just she, kung fu. You know what? Because there's a there's a bit where she's not allowed to drink. Right. So, yeah, I do feel she's bad. She's a party girl. Well, part of it too is just thinking ahead to how hot Catherine Heigl will I be. I know. Yeah. I know. What is so, this line? I also cook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, she says you're not a cook, and he should say like there should be a clever retort there, and he says, yeah, well, I also cook. That's not funny. I mean, it means nothing. It's almost like he improv that or something. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that if, if he had made it vulnerable and said, well, I, I can cook. Yeah, what do you want me to cook? Or he just hands her some food. So, by the way, they have a scene in Under Siege 2 where when – Dark territory. Dark territory. Very good. When the train wow. gets taken over by Eric Bogosian and his terrorist yeah. cadre. Uh, oh, I thought it was Eric Roberts. I'm dumb. No, Eric Bogosian. Oh, that's why you said Eric Roberts. You yeah. Runaway train. They're a little um, similar. <laughs> so 
Steven Seagal is in the kitchen when the terrorists attack, the train kitchen, and all the other cooks are gathered around him like he's educating them. And all he's doing is holding a bowl of batter, and he's like stirring the spoon in it, and he's making some (laughs) joke. He makes a joke about – Oh, the swaying of the train is messing up my stirring mojo. Like, what? Yeah, that's his like cook talk. Like that's what he says. And they all laugh. Yeah, yeah, they think he's like. Super uh, that's another thing too in these movies. The guys who like play the 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 uh, special forces guys who he's helping, and and he he ends up like teaming up with all the captured sailors and under siege. They all have to pretend they think he's super cool. Man, look how he cooks. He very stirs those eggs. So real quick, here's the scene in Under Siege 2 that I just is absurd to me, and I kind of think <laughs> the people making the movie have contempt for Steven Seagal because of this moment. But he's fighting a bad guy, and he's grappling like chest to chest with the bad guy, and the bad guy throws him on the ground. So they're laying face to face. It's not erotic or anything. And Steven Seagal, <laughs> the do you like Playgirl? Right. Steven Seagal doesn't. Steven Seagal does not look like he would be in Playgirl, by the way. Uh, no, he's too fat. So Steve, maybe he's too good a cook. Steven Seagal wraps his legs around the guy that he's grappling with, Ooh. and he does this yeah. thing like when a baby is lying on his back and kicks his legs. The Yoda. He does this uh, leg kicking thing, hmm. and they foley in that sound effect of like meat being punched really hard. While he's just kicking his legs like a little baby, like against the dude's back. It's like he's doing karate kicks or something. Uh, Wait, that doesn't make him a bad action hero. It makes him a very. No, but it looks ridiculous. ridiculous, ridiculous. I see. Yeah, you know, you you don't. That's not how you kickbox or whatever he's. He also kicks. (laughs) Well, that's that's another thing, too. Is anytime you see him in fight scenes. It has to be edited around them. It looks basically like the stuntmen are doing all the work. (laughs) Like like he just sort of sits there and the stuntmen throw themselves at him and then bounce off of him or something. At least Chuck Norris throws his own grenades. Uh, And they'll do like a little tight shot of like a fist hitting flesh or something. They'll do little inset shots of stuff. You don't want to hit Eric Bogosian for real, though. He had, how does he break your his nose? You know what? He just kicks Eric Bogosian off a helicopter into an explosion. He just oh, I remember thinking it was kind of violent, and I like kind of liked that. Well, it is cool. This is definitely the eighties. You have these R-rated action sequences with knives and blood, and and it's young Catherine Heigl, like just total bloodshed surrounding her. They capture a a couple having an affair who know these nuclear codes. Threaten <laughs> That's Eric why they call it dark territory. Eric Bogosian threatens to put a hot needle in their eyeballs uh, unless the other person needle all eyeballs because cold needles other, are better in your eyeball. It's like a it's like a uh, burning yeah. whatever unless the other yeah. person gives oh, tells their their new their code. So yeah. that's how he bribes them each to give the code, and then afterwards they get like thrown out of the train, hmm. and it like shows this body like falling and bouncing. It's a dummy, of course. Um, but they meet this very violent inn, and it's you know it's it's. They're having an affair, so it's okay. It's dark territory, Kelly Wand. Right, it is for the audience. Yeah. All right, let's see what the listeners have for bad action. That's, that's all you're going to say about dark territory? Uh, what? Uh, it's I, it, I don't recommend it. How about that? Hmm. Can you Not say more about Playgirl? <laughs> Did you see dark territory in the woods by accident? <laughs> When you were looking for a Chuck Norris movie, I did realize I had not seen. I, as I was watching Under Siege, I was remembering, like I've obviously seen Under Siege in the theaters, but 
But as I was watching Under Siege 2, I was realizing, oh, I, you know, I don't think I ever saw this one. Uh, it's but Under Siege, the original, definitely came back to me. Of the Under Siege duology. Chris Markinson writes, <laughs> Adaptation. Wait, what? Oh, he's What? Trying- I'm sorry, this is a twin thing. Worst action heroes. What? Jason Momoa is Conan. Oh, God. I live, I love, I slay, and I am content is such a terrible line. <laughs> his companions don't even think enough of Conan to ask him what is best in life. <laughs> Number two, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I like this list. I realize choosing Shia LaBeouf's character in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull is picking low-hanging fruit, uh. but he's just so darn annoying in it. My evidence is the scene where he first meets Indy and says his name is Mutt Williams, and when asked what kind of name it, it is that is that, he replies, it's the one I picked. You got a problem with that? He then dips his comb in another person's Coke and uses it to comb his hair. Oh. Let's see more movies about that character. Markinson writes, when it comes to off, on-screen Harrison Ford offspring, I prefer... And he writes the name of an actor who I won't read because it might be a spoiler. Oh, uh, Josh Hartnett? Number one. Oh, is that the big twist in Hollywood? Yeah. It's Hollywood Heartbreak? What is it called? Uh, Hollywood Heartbreak, yeah. Homicide. Homicide. Homicide, Homicide Heartbreak, yes. Chris Marcus is number one pick. Brian Bosworth. In the movie Stone Cold, ex-NFL wow. player Brian Bosworth plays police officer Joe Huff. <laughs> General X. In the opening scene of the movie, a robbery is taking place in a supermarket, and Joe Huff arrives to do some grocery shopping wearing a black leather trench coat with large flaps on the shoulders. Euphemisms. He quickly dispatches the would-be thieves, causing damage to the supermarket. When asked his captain to explain himself, he simply says, you got to clean up on aisle four. Ah. <laughs> and then he leaves in a huff. Seaman joke. Dan Winningham writes, uh, he has just one pick. Someone at Fox decided to make Howie Long into an action star. Oh, yeah, I remember. In 1998's Firestorm. (laughs) Long plays a firefighter who gets caught up in a plot by escaped convicts to find millions and stash loot in a forest fire. Uh, It's like Con Air, but on the ground. Dan says he thinks that you, Kelly Wand, will likely say the movie taps into our fear of storing stolen loot in a forest fire. Well... It's good in some ways. To be fair, to be fair, Dan writes, Howie Long tries, and he does look the part of an Arnie-like action star, but he can't carry the film. He doesn't really have the charisma needed. I think the executives saw him as one of John Travolta's henchmen in Broken Arrow and decided to roll the dice on him. Yeah. Whenever they do a football, whenever they do a sports star, like Dwayne Johnson's the only breakout uh, what about no, John? No, no, that's not a sports star. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. John John Senya in uh, Trainwreck. Oh, the Marine. I thought that was Amy Schumer. She's not a sports person. Yeah, she does a cheerleader thing. Spoiler. Oh. Arthur Giovanginelli writes, Number three, Kingdom of Heaven. Orlando Bloom gets a lot of hate for his work in the, in the movie, and most of it is well-deserved. When he is taught to fence, the audience is supposed to be convinced he's a natural swordsman, despite the fact that he looks as athletic as a tranquilized banana slug. (laughs) He reminds me of a six-year-old who has just picked up his first baseball bat. (laughs) 
Hector just made me want to see Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, I know. Isn't that well, weird? We, we have it here. We have the director's cut here on Blu-ray, so I go to it. I want to watch Dr. Better and Banana Slugs now. Wow. He, did he, what, he went to Santa Cruz? <laughs> Is the Banana Slugs the name of their reference. I got it. Sports reference. <laughs> <laughs> you just say that after everything Dinkus says and hope. If Dinkus says something I don't understand, I figure it's a sports reference. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur Giovanginelli writes, this is number two, Haft Past Dead. Oh, I, Arthur, thank you. A Did you just say Haft Past? Haft Past. Haft Past Dead. Dead. A past his prime Steven Seagal. By the way, that's even more ridiculous than Steven Seagal. Oh, that's <laughs> one with Kelly LeBrock, though. <laughs> is, is, was there ever a before his prime? Or well, you know what? Prime? So, so I did watch this, too. Um it, it actually speaks volumes to Steven Seagal that his best appearance, like the best Steven Seagal movie, is the best Steven Seagal movie because he dies in the middle executive of it. It's an executive decision. Yeah. And it's not – I mean that's what makes it the best one is is because he dies, not because he's in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a really cool moment, and I love that they do that. Uh, you know, he, he basically kills himself, so it's kind of heroic, but it's like way cooler than anything he's done in even his other movies, I thought. Just like Dane Cook in that Kevin Costner movie. I like Dane Cook in that because I find Ugh. him he was supposed to be annoying in that. What was that called? Like Killer Bob or something? Mr. Johnson. Mr. Brooks. Mr. Brooks. Mr. Right. Johnson. Yeah. I remember, I just remember uh, Roger Ebert writing or talking about uh, Steven Seagal when he first showed up, which I think was under siege. And and him saying he's this typical action hero with, you know, he's a little doughy and a receding hairline. And and I remember like reading that and going, How's that typical? Am, I, am I supposed to just accept that as... That's a typical action hero with a receding yeah. hairline and he's a little doughy. I don't actually. Steven Seagal's got pretty good hair. He's got in his in his more recent movies, he grows this weird, like he has facial hair and it really looks like someone stuck a rug onto his face. And he's got you know he's got that ponytail thing he does sometimes too. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, he definitely sounds like a regular action hero now. Now that he has hair. Would you say a rug on his face? His facial hair. Like, there's one where he's got a goatee, and it really does look like someone, like, glued a black rug onto his jaws. Which movie is this? What is the last one he did? It's amazing, because he's so bloated, and he literally doesn't do any fighting. It literally is the stuntmen. He could have been a Star Wars alien without an ACG. Throwing themselves into his fist. What was the environmental movie he did? Oh, uh, fuck... The one where it was Alaska, and he wore that yeah, coat. Yeah, I think he, he wore the he, coat he, on Letterman. Yeah. I think Michael Caine might have been in it. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. It was that kind of time huh. in action movies. <laughs> well, let's talk about Half Past Dead. Arthur Giovanginelli writes, oh, yes. A past his prime Steven Seagal is impossible to take seriously as an action hero due to the significant weight gain. He is so fat, they have to shoot many of the fight scenes yeah. at funny angles to avoid displaying his girth too prominently. That's obviously not going to work. Like, don't they just see him the first when they ink, like when he comes in to sign the contracts? And they go, yeah, oh, my, yeah. Uh. Yeah, my theory is that he's probably got, uh, like, friends Five, who have money. Uh, like, it's probably yeah. a group of producers that he knows. Or he goes, look, my acting will make up for my fatness. He's, I think Russell he's associated Trump. with that Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio and, like, this. Right. Anti-immigrant stuff too. 
Yeah. Oh wait, is I, he the guy who became one of his deputies? Yes. He, yeah, he, exactly. He like famously declared himself one of the deputies, and like I imagine he might have some weird political connections or something. Yeah. He's a very deep man. I've it's, always gotten that sense. He's a Renaissance guy. Well, he comes across. Figures yeah. in a bunch of pies. Yeah. With that kind of hairline, his brain must be gigantic. Arthur's number one pick. Transformers Dark of the Moon. Shia LaBeouf has such a sense of entitlement that he's insufferable as this movie. It's true. It's very true. What about the movie? The job interview with John Malkovich exemplifies this, as LaBeouf doesn't want to take an entry-level position because he sees himself as a hero who should be given something better. The robots save the world. An action hero certainly doesn't have to be a bastion of blue-collar values, but the degree to which LaBeouf turns his nose up at the prospect of working his way up from the bottom makes his character hard to stomach. We're relatable this, to Michael Bay. All of this makes his confrontation with Starscream an eye-roll-inducing action sequence. Haha, ha, you know his name. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the name of the thing in Star Wars? I was making uh, <laughs> Bumblebee references to Dingus. I know some Transformers. Yeah. Bumblebee's what reaction? Transformers. What do you mean to what reaction? Uh, no, Dingus Did he go, oh, nice. Dingus or... gets in Transformers Ooh. reference. Hmm. Shaheen Ali, Judge Dredd, uh, 19, uh, hold on, 1995, Sylvester uh, Stallone. Well, no, it's a bad action hero, so that's... Well, the Carl Urban one, I guess it's just Carl Urban's a great action hero. Right. Uh, Shaheen writes, this movie stunk. The scene that nails it is when Judge Dredd rides his motorcycle through flame and gunfire. He steps off and proudly announces that, I am the law, drop your weapons, you are under arrest. I am the law. Bad writing delivered as only Stallone can deliver it. Wow. Oh, Dingus, this one might hurt you. This one might cut you, but uh, maybe not. Uh, in 2010, Shaheen Ali writes, Inception. Dom Cobb says, my family disagrees on this movie. I liked it. My daughter loved it. Oh, this maybe is playing towards you. But my wife dislikes it for a very specific reason. For an action movie, there is, and Shaheen writes this in all capital letters, way too much talking. <laughs> That's because it's not an action movie. Dingus, yeah, it's not. Dingus, it's, Shaheen provides a case in point. When Dom meets Ariadne, the amazing action is preceded by about four minutes of one-sided monologue about Maze's architect's creation, inspiration, and shared dreaming, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There you go, Dingus. Rebuttal. Uh, he never uses that stuff, though. I like that his name is Dom because it just makes me think of uh, Vin, Diesel. Vin Diesel. Cobb it, makes it, me think of And I imagine Vin Diesel playing that role. Corn. I wanted to pick on Vin Diesel for Bad Action Hero, but I don't think he's necessarily bad. I think he's Good just... Good Action Hero. Mm, I never buy him. I don't find him very convincing. No, I did mess around with the idea of, of totally griefing you on the rock with various furious... Five, seven, eight movies. But you can't because you know he's an awesome action hero. That's true. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's just that moment where he can't punch the glass, as they say. Shaheen Ali's number one pick, Batman and Robin. All the heroes in this movie are duds. I will single out Robin, played by Chris O'Donnell. In the movie, Robin fights Bane. Wow, I didn't know that. What? I didn't know that, yeah. I don't he, remember that. Robin fights Bane and gets his butt kicked after delivering a terrible one-liner. Lying on the ground... Poison Ivy arrives, and Robin delivers this lame line. Give yourselves up. Huh, okay. No. No. Uh, Shaheen Ali writes, I'm ashamed to say I paid money to watch this. Wait, that's the... I don't understand. They're, they don't retort. 
Shaheen did not provide the retort. He just give yourselves up. Yeah. Oh, that's because he's on the ground. Right. Got it. Okay. Uh, Shaheen says as a runner-up, he watched uh, parts of Demolition Man uh, and found it pretty funny. I I agree with him. I like it. Sandra Bullock's cute as fuck in that movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's adorbs. That's on the poster. Paul Weber writes, uh, worst action heroes? At least none of these will be the last. And he capitalizes last. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wait, what's that, Wade? Oh, I see. Last action. Last action. Yeah. Uh, isn't that Shane? Not Shane Black. Who, who is that? Who, oh, oh, pardon. Black? Penn, Zach Penn. Zach Penn did Last Action Hero, right? I thought it was Arnold. Well, no, he's in it, but it's a Zach Penn script, and he might have directed it. Did Zach no, Penn? I thought Shane Black directed it. Shane Black? You might that be sounds right. I'm wrong. Almost, I'm almost 100% certain it's a Zach Penn script because he oh, talks about know. it in Encounter at Loch Ness. All right. I don't remember. Okay. Uh, anyway, That's Paul Weaver's number that gave us Bridget Wilson, by the way. Uh, Paul Weaver's number three pick in Killers, Catherine Heigl's Jen sucked into the secret spy world of her husband's former life. Turns out to be really bad at action heroics when first handed a gun in the midst of an attack on her home. She fumbles it, nearly drops it, and really has little idea what to do with such a thing. Her husband, Ashton Kutcher, isn't really much better, to be honest. Wait, he's supposed to be accomplished. Because I kind of liked Killers. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh. Did you like Tom Selleck as the Russian pervert? I'm. That's part of what I loved about it. He shaves. <laughs> doesn't he shave his mustache in it? Too? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, I didn't know that existed. How yeah. awesome! I mean, what are you thinking of the Last Boy Scout? That one I doubt I like. That's probably a Tony Scott like. My, no, that's uh, Shane Black. That's Shane Black. I'm afraid that oh, when I right. think about, I'm not sure if Shane Black did Last Action Hero, Last Boy Scout. So didn't Tony like Scott? Oh, no, no. Yeah, so Tony Scott, I think, isn't that Last Boy Scout, and, and Shane Black wrote uh, it? No. I'll bet money Shane Black did Last Boy Scout. Should I look it up? Directed it. Here. Directed it, yeah. Okay, you might be right. I actually am. I, right. I will take wrote it. Wrote it. It might be dubbed. Anyway, it up, I thought you waved me off of Killers, Tom. Well, it's not for you, probably. Okay, fine. <laughs> really? <laughs> Paul Weimer, he's not an Ashton Kutcher. He doesn't enjoy Ashton Kutcher's. I don't either. First, you guys should watch... Uh, the thing with Michelle Pfeiffer, where he plays a wrestler. Jesus, you always Just talk about that thing. Get that under your belt first, and then you can watch Killers. See what you did there? <laughs> Paul Weimer writes for his number two, Halle Berry's Jinx in mm. Die Another Day. That's what I call it, too. Supposed to be the equal of James Bond? Getting trapped again and again and having to be rescued by Bond makes her a damsel, not an action heroine. Yeah. And then yeah. finally, Paul Weimer's number one, so bad he's thought to be brilliant, Bill Murray's Wallace Ritchie in The Man Who Knew Too Little. What? Supposed to believe his dumb luck and weird self-confidence will get him through everything, but a climactic firefight and race for a bomb at a diplomatic dinner party is just painfully bad. There's like Russian dolls and he does a dance. <laughs> is it better or worse than a Mr. Bean movie? It's better because Val Kilmer's hot wife is in it. Wearing like a French maid outfit. Okay, I'm uh, I don't know. It's kind of lame. It's one of those movies where the main character's dumb but lucky, like Caluso, kind of. Right. So, and I know you don't like that stuff, Tom. You really hate lucky, dumb people. Why are you saying Forrest that? Gun. Why do I hate lucky, dumb people? <laughs> well, on Solo, you never <laughs> stood till recently. You hated 12 you like, years of dumb person. 
Yeah. You liked Han Solo once he acknowledged the Force was cool. Is, uh, is Dwayne Johnson lucky and dumb? Yeah. Nope. Oh. He's big and dumb. <laughs> I, I sense a new game coming on, Lucky or Dumb. Let's go ahead and stay to runners up. What else do you got? That's all the listeners? I didn't mean to step on them. The runners up? All right. No, I have, time. I have runner oh, yeah, up. Uh, uh, and this is what Kelly Wan made me think of uh, during his synopsis, I think. Um, and that's from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, because uh, Sean Connery has so long been an action hero and he's the father of an action hero and sort of an action hero during the movie. Uh-huh. Um, there's that moment where he uh, he's operating the rear gun of the plane they're escaping in, and he shoots the tail off of their own plane. And he says, sorry, son, they got us. And that's <laughs> the, the terrible action hero who shoots his own plane. It's like that. So it's like a Clouseau moment, like Kelly Wan is talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not a hero, though. He's like, sorry, son, they got he's us. He's a MacGuffin. Kelly Wan, you know he's not, not a MacGuffin. That, you can't just use that word for anything. That, Kelly Wan can. We I'm won't. saying it's the family name. Uh, you know who's not dumb, Kelly Wan? In uh. Under Siege, Steven Seagal, he makes a bomb with a microwave oven. <laughs> he makes a, a paint thinner grenade. Uh, he then later, he makes a bomb from uh, a condom, electrical tape, Tupperware, and a, a, a naval artillery shell that he has boiled in a pot of water. Wait, well, so he makes a condom out of what? He makes a bomb using a condom, electrical <laughs> tape, oh. Tupperware. He doesn't put the condom on his leg or anything. Right. Hey. But he, and he, he boils a naval artillery shell, like one of those shells, in a pot of water. He also cooks. But that's his cooking <laughs> skill, yeah. I also huh. toyed with the idea of um, Bruce Willis being a bad action hero because he's afraid of flying and has to take off his shoes. Oh, he is afraid of, right, right, right. Uh, how about Obi-Wan being a bad action hero because he hates flying in Phantom Menace? So, I feel like Hamlet. Hamlet what is his curse hero. word? Blast, I hate flying. Blast, I hate flying. Yeah. Suddenly. He hates flying, but he likes the high ground. <laughs> oh, guys. <laughs> Dingus, what's next week's 2 by 3 What do you got uh, for us? All right. Uh, today <laughs> I went to see, uh, quite by surprise, because uh, the girlfriend suddenly said, okay, hey, we're going to see Macbeth today. It's playing at a local theater in 20 minutes. Let's go. And so we had to run off to see the uh, Michael Fassbender, um, Marianne Cotillard, because uh, you guys brought up Inception, uh, version of Macbeth. Uh, and there's these many scenes that take place where they're, uh, they're kneeling about praying, and all over the walls are um, tons of candles, like inset, all over inside the walls. Uh, and I just, whenever I see tons of candles in rooms in movies, I just wonder, like, who bothered to light all of these candles? There, there's one person here. It takes forever to light a candle, you know, to get all of them set up. And there's a hundred candles in this room. There's fifty candles. There's twenty candles over there. Um, but I, but still, I, I'm somebody who loves lighting. I, li- I really like having candles burning. Uh, so it just made me think, you know, like, what are your favorite? Uh, uses of candles in movie scenes. Kelly Wan, do you have questions for him? Um, does bubble bath count? Yeah, definitely. Do your bubble bath. What about electric light? See, Dingus, see what happens when you uh, open the floor for questions? You're right, Tom. I should have known better. Candles lit that are lit by flames, not battery-operated or candle power. What about a bomb fuse? 
You're a bomb fuse. Your face oh, is a bomb well. fuse. Oh, no, Tom. All right, Dingus, what if the listeners have some candles uh, that they think are cool in movies? If listeners have some candle usage that they like in movies, that they should write them to our email address at 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's 3x3 at, spelled out, quarter23.com. Except for the dot. And Dingus, what movie are we seeing next week? Uh, next week, I think we're seeing Sisters. Dingus will see Sisters. Kelly Wan and I are going to go see Hateful Eight. Oh. Uh, so that's opening. It's. I don't think it's a limited release. We'll see how widely it opens. But we're going to see a Quentin Tarantino a Western, I believe. I'm in L.A. Come see it with me. Uh, I'm the only one who wanted to see that, by the way. Everybody else what? argued. Hateful Eight? Yeah. Uh, that's not true. You guys that's wanted to see Concussion. I thought Tom was fucking with us. Uh, about what? I, I want to see Hateful Eight. I don't know. I I, I, I really like it. Dingus is being crazy right now. That's yeah. all I got to say. Well, we'll, we'll we'll find out how it is next week. Uh, we invite the listeners to see it and join us for the podcast. Send in your your favorite candles, uh, and we'll read your three by three on the air for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Malowski. It's Christian Morowski. And Kelly Wand. May the force be with you, Dingus. That's the RTD2 part. Hey, Dingus, what do you call a potato that's turned to the dark side? Vader tots. <laughs> so, who talks last? You, you talk last or I talk last? It's probably you. Look, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I forgot you're here.